You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, it's Chris Spangle, the host and founder of We Are Libertarians. And this particular debate was not produced or hosted by We Are Libertarians, Hody, or any of the rest of us here. Um, it was hosted by the Libertarian Party of Kentucky. And they have graciously allowed us to rip the audio for you of their debate and put it up in our feed. And we have some exciting news. Uh, there was a, a, an issue, and the person that was producing the debates for the Libertarian Party of Kentucky was not able to do it anymore. And so they reached out to We Are Libertarians to help provide some tech support. So on Saturday, May 16th at 8 p.m., We Are Libertarians, the Libertarian Party of Kentucky, the Libertarian Party of Missouri, and Reason Magazine will be co-sponsoring a debate uh, at 8 p.m. And it will be hosted on all of our social medias. So you can go to Reason or we are libertarians facebook page and watch it there you can watch it on on youtube uh i believe it'll be on the lp national youtube so we'll see but you can check all that out on saturday night it will be moderated by matt welch of reason and the candidates participating will be adam kokesh joe jorgensen justin amash jacob hornberger and judge jim gray we will also be providing tech support and co-sponsoring the debates on Tuesday night, I think it is 7 or 8 p.m. I should, probably should have looked this up before I did the promo uh, for the vice presidential candidates. And then Wednesday night uh, for the presidential candidates again for a smaller amount as chosen by delegates. So please tune in. We will also put those the audio of those here for you to catch up. But we really appreciate it if you'd go and uh, like those, share those, and get as many people watching as possible. It's a great opportunity for them to see Libertarians debate and show off who your choices are. So thank you so much, and we appreciate you tuning into We Are Libertarians, and we appreciate all of our patrons, because without our patrons, when... The Libertarian Party of Kentucky and Reason Magazine wanted to co-sponsor a debate. We have the technical ability to do so because of the things that we were able to buy because of our patrons. So thank you so much for that. We are able to take advantage of opportunities because of your patronage. And so we truly do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Enjoy this debate. Or, you know, as much as you can when a bunch of libertarians are arguing. All right. Good evening. Welcome to the Libertarian Party of Kentucky's presidential debate. Uh, we wanted to um, say thank you to everyone and the candidates for attending tonight. Uh, we're just going to go over a couple ground rules. I, I wanted to address a couple things. I understand that uh, um, there's been some angst about uh, the invitations. Uh, understand that uh, we've had a couple volunteers put this together. This was the first debate that they've done um, in terms of, of putting the debate together. They asked me to moderate fairly late in the day. Um, and uh, I agreed to do that. Uh, I hosted the presidential debates, the pre-convention presidential debates um, in Orlando in 2016 and um, agreed, to this, this, agreed to do this this evening. Uh, one of the things that I did want to mention is that there will be some voting that's going to be available and the voting um, will allow the top candidates to be invited to an additional debate. Um, we're going to have a couple of these rounds of debates and, and we are going to try and include um, everyone who has been to um, at least one state convention, um, and we may, uh, you know, invite some other folks to, um, to kind of some open mic nights, and, and there'll be some voting as well. Not unlike what we did with Orlando, especially with um, the, 
the national convention being in flux. Um, and so that, that was the point of tonight. Um, just a couple of debate rules, um, two minutes per um, answer. Um, each um, candidate also has three one-minute either extension or rebuttal cards. You could use it for either total of three, though. Um, and we've got a, uh, a format this evening. Uh, we're going to get into uh, a couple introductory questions for the candidates to tell us about themselves, um, a couple questions about some current events, um, some general election questions, uh, pivoting to, to the general election, um, and, and finally, uh, some targeted individual uh, uh, questions. Uh, we'll then move to candidate-to-candidate to candidate questions. Uh, each candidate will be able to ask one other candidate a question. Um, we are going to limit that to two questions posed to any individual candidate. And finally, a chance uh, for some closing remarks. The extensions cards, if you wanted, could be used to closing remarks for introductions, whatever you wanted to do. Um, but that's our, our uh, rules. And like I said, the link to vote will be posted um, about halfway through the debate uh, for people that are tuning in to be able to vote uh, for your favorites. And again, the top finishers will be invited to another round of debates. Um, this evening, we have with us uh, five of our uh, presidential candidates. They're not the only candidates, um, obviously, that are running for our nomination this year. Um, uh, Dr. Joe Jorgensen, um, Adam Kokesh, uh, Judge Jim Gray, uh, Jacob Hornberger, and Mark Whitney. And we wanted to thank all of you for coming this evening. Um, given I was going to do a little bit further uh, introduction, but I don't think I need to do that. What I'd like to do is just to move um, and, and let you tell us about yourself. And so with that, um, my, my first question, it's an introductory question uh, to each candidate. Um, why don't you tell us about yourself, why you decided to run for the presidential nomination, um, what your objectives are for your campaign, and finally, if you are successful, if you're not successful, um, whether or not you have any interest in, in running for the vice presidential um, position. Um, and we'll start, and I've randomly kind of drawn this. Everybody's going to get a chance to... Uh, to uh, begin and, and answer a question first, second, third, fourth, we're mixing the order, but we're gonna begin with uh, Dr. Um, Jorgensen. Um, so Joe, uh, if, why don't you lead us off tonight? Hi, thanks, and, and Joe is just fine. I appreciate the doctor. Uh, I do have a PhD in industrial organizational psychology. I teach at Clemson University. I'm a longtime libertarian, joined the movement in 1979 in Dallas, Texas originally, and I'm running because government is too big, too nosy, too intrusive, and gets in our lives way too much, and nobody out there is doing anything about it. So it needs to be up to the Libertarian Party to do this. I've had experience. I was the 1996 vice presidential nominee with Harry Brown. I've also held office. I've been the, um, I was the South Carolina vice chair. I was also the Greenville party uh, chairman. In fact, I was the person who formed the party in Greenville uh, 30 years ago. So I have a long libertarian history. And I'd also like to point out that uh, I've also stood on the corner in front of buildings collecting signatures as a volunteer, and I've worked at Fairboots. So I have a very long volunteer history with the Libertarian Party. And my objective is, of course, to get as many votes as we can, but also to grow the party. When Harry Brown and I were running in 1995 and 1996, we had the largest increase of in membership in the Libertarian Party 
since it was founded and since then. So nobody has broken our record from 1995 to 1996. We doubled the party. Uh, that's what I would like to do again by giving a message that is principled, sticks to the platform plank by plank, and yet is presented in a way that appeals to those people out there who are already libertarians and just don't realize it or haven't heard the message in a way um, how it can help them. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Um, Adam? I'm sorry, Adam Kokesh. Hey, thank you so much, sir. All right. Good. All right. Thank you so much for putting this together, Chris and Dan, for the Libertarian Party of Kentucky for making this happen. It's really awesome that we are persisting in the face of the coronaphobia crisis. Uh, you probably know me from my media production, Adam versus the Man, my history of civil disobedience and organizing. And now I am a, a homesteader and a small business owner here at the Garden of Freedom with what I do with big igloo geodesics, making geodesic dome frames. And I'm running because there's no one else running on the platform and with the message that I'm running on. And I think the future of the Libertarian Party is about principles and localization. I love quoting Larry Sharp here, who says a libertarian is someone who says you can be as liberal or as conservative as you want, as long as you don't force it on anybody else. Well, localization, getting government down to the community level is the only way that we achieve that in practical policy reality in a way that unites people beyond ideology. Everybody gets what they want when government is localized, customized, transparent, accountable, and set up based on your values designed to meet your needs. This is how we take the Libertarian Party from being a debate club to a coalition force that it needs to be to start winning elections. It's also a very specific ethical standard to say we are not going to continue the unjust power of the federal government because we're going to absolutely localize it in a process that leaves us with 50 independent states and up to 562 sovereign native nations. And as I've said before to your question about uh, the vice presidency nomination for the LP, I would love to have it. And, and, and there are a few candidates who represent a similarly distinct ethical platform that says we're going to throw the ring in the fire. We're not going to put on the ring of power at all. And really, any of the candidates would be great, but specifically those who have a platform with that same ethical standard. I would love to serve as the vice presidential nomination nominee with and to do whatever it takes to help the Libertarian Party. Um, Judge Jim Gray. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to Kentucky and, and all of you for being with us. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I go back a long way, but uh, I was the 2012 Libertarian candidate for vice president along with Governor Gary Johnson. Before that, actually, I will be the first Peace Corps volunteer ever to be elected president. I was a Navy JAG officer. I was also a, a federal prosecutor in Los Angeles. So I have quite a distinguished background or different anyway. Some people say I've had trouble holding a job, but I don't think that's quite true. Nonetheless, then I've been a judge in Orange County, California for 25 years. And during that time, actually, I was a libertarian in acting because in 1992, based upon my experience as a Navy JAG officer, federal prosecutor, and then a judge for nine years, I held a press conference. Judges don't do that. And I stated what I seem to believe deeply is our nation's policy of drug prohibition was not working. And I've been speaking actually against that ever since. I put my professional life at risk doing that, but that some things are more important than job security. And that was one of them. Uh, since that time, I uh, 
with the passage of the so-called Patriot Act back in 2002, I could no longer condone being part of any group, any group that would condone, much less assist, this direct frontal attack on our civil liberties. And so I, I still remember the, the transition. It took me 13 seconds to decide I really am a libertarian. I joined the Libertarian Party, and I will be forevermore. Otherwise, I ran for U.S. Senate here in California against Barbara Boxer back in 2004. Uh, one of our founders, David Nolan, actually worked hand in hand with me on that campaign. I have really extensive experience, both from being your 2012 candidate as well as my drug policy with the media. I feel that I have the background and the ability to get our message out to people, to actually show the average American how maybe they should rethink the intrusion of government, the place of government in their lives, and reduce that intrusion, reduce those places. So I think I bring all of this to the table. I vote for Governor Larry for Larry Sharp, who ran for governor in New York. He is my running mate. If, if I get that far, and you you support him and run for it, and uh, <clears throat> go to go to graysharp2020.com. I think you'll like what you see. We'll do you proud. Thanks, that's great. Mr. Hornberger. Yeah, thank you for including me in this debate. I, I owe you all an apology in the Kentucky LP. I, sorry I didn't attend your state convention. There was just so many conventions, conflicting dates, and I just couldn't make it. I went to 19 state conventions before the shutdown and absolutely loved it. I mean, I've never seen so much energy and electricity, and this shutdown has just been horrendous, you know, especially in terms of the death and the suffering, but also because of what it's done to to this process, of course, to a much lesser extent. Uh, I grew up on a farm on the Rio Grande in, in South Texas, near Laredo, Texas. I got a law, um, a BA in economics at Virginia Military Institute, got commissioned as an infantry officer in the U.S. Army Reserves, got a law degree at the University of Texas, practiced law for 12 years, was an adjunct professor at the University of Dallas <clears throat> on economics, went to the Foundation for Economic Education and became seminar director and then founded the Future of Freedom Foundation, whose mission is to present a principal case for libertarianism, and which I should emphasize does not endorse my candidacy. I decided to jump into the political arena because I want, I want to live in a free country. I, I, I want everyone to live in a free country, and now I want everyone to live in a healthy country, a prosperous country. These Democrats and Republicans, even before this crisis, have led this country in a very bad direction. And we're seeing the bad direction now with, with this crisis, with dysfunctional economic systems, dysfunctional health care systems, dysfunctional monetary systems headed by the Federal Reserve. We have a chance here in this party to lead America out of this morass. This vote is no longer an esoteric matter. This is a life or death matter. And our principles for the party of principles are the way out of this thing. And that's why I wanna, I'm seeking your nomination to run a campaign of principle for the party of principle. Thank you, Mr. Hornberger. Uh, Mr. Whitney. One second. Mr. Whitney? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Hello. You with me? You're good? We're with you. No, not working. Liam and Charlie. I got you, Mark. Okay, we back? Okay. So I was going to say, you know, I worked a, it's, it's cutting out again. It's cutting it out. This is great. That's not good. Solid audio for me, Mark. Okay. So here we go. So I'm going to just, uh, so I was going to, I was going to make a little joke, you know, that some people need no introduction. I am not one of those people. Um, my name is Mark Whitney. I'm coming to you from uh, sunny San Diego. And I want to emphasize what a beautiful day it is here today. 
uh, especially down at the beach. But this political moment that we're in right now, uh, the beaches are closed, but the 7-Elevens are open. And the governor who issued that order that allowed the 7-Elevens to be open and close the beaches is now polling at 83%. The people love it. My point is this political moment, we're going to need a nominee that can cut through the crap, a nominee that has a professional studio, a nominee that understands how to talk to a camera. You can't nominate somebody that's sitting in their library with a bunch of books behind their head. I think this is the first uh, political presidential debate that has a judge, a criminal defense lawyer, and a defendant in it. That's kind of exciting. Um, and uh, it's a pleasure to share the virtual stage with Judge Gray for the first time. Uh, we met in California. Uh, I am CEO of the Law.net Corporation. I have 20 years of executive experience. I'm the only candidate in this race that is a CEO of 20 years as an executive. I have a libertarian family. My wife and I are both uh, uh, members of the uh, life members of the National Party. I'm a life member of the California Party and the Iowa Party. And uh, I'm very transactional in the way I look at this. Um, I don't think there's any time for a lot of philosophy. I think we have to propose solutions. We need to end the war on drug, on drugs, trade, and terror, which the American people are with us at a rate of 75%. The federal government has increased its budget 50% in the last 30 days. I think within the next 30 days, they're going to make that 100%. Uh, so this is, a, this is potentially a great time to be a freedom salesman, but only if you pick the right salesman, and I think it should be me. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Whitney. Um, our next question, this is the last softball question of the evening, is um, give us three reasons why our delegates should vote for you versus your competition. Uh, Mr. Kokesh, you'll go first on this one. Thank you, Chris. Well, there's been a lot of talk about having someone who can get the message out. And I think we should elect someone or nominate someone. I mean, why not nominate someone who's got a proven record in this? Why not nominate someone who's got years of experience getting the message out? Why not nominate someone who's got a proven track record of reaching people outside of our movement with this message? And on the last debate we had online with uh, with Mr. Whitney, he pointed out that with 100000 in the bank, he probably has more than all the other candidates in the debate in terms of money in the bank. But we know that it takes more than money. It takes a message that wins people over. It takes a messenger with a proven track record. And I would put it back to Mr. Whitney. I think I have, if you combine everybody else's social media following, more than everybody else combined. I have the best track record of actually getting this message out there. I've got a book with over a quarter million copies in print. More importantly, in terms of the message, what are we actually presenting? So number two, I would say, is localization, a message that unifies Americans across the political spectrum that really embodies that libertarian principle of you can do whatever you want as long as you don't force it on anybody else. Get government down to the community level. It's localized. Everybody gets what they want. And the third, I think, would be my personal track record of putting my life on the line for what I believe in. You know I'm not going to pull punches. Maybe you, maybe you don't even like me as much as some of the other candidates here, but I guarantee you I'm going to be more valuable for the party because I'm going to work twice as hard as anybody else in this race right now. And I've proven that with my history of touring and getting out and putting my life on the line, both as a U.S. Marine volunteering for combat and as an activist standing up in civil disobedience, always doing what is right over what is legal. And again, I think the message, the track record, and getting this out in a way that can unify people with localization 
that's really what it's all about. And I think that gives me an absolutely unparalleled edge in this race. I would mention having raised more money than all other candidates combined. I don't know if that's still true. A couple of people have, have, have made the total add up to now more than, than my total. But as Ken Armstrong said, the, uh, the money follows the message. And I think we have proven that, that we have the best message with the Kokesh campaign. Adam, um, Judge Gray. Well, thank you. You know, this does give me a great opportunity to talk and share messages, and I'm proud to be among our fellow candidates. I think the first one is the media, that I've written more than about the issues probably than any other presidential candidate in history, including James Madison. I've written four books. The last one is called Two Paragraphs for Liberty, for Liberty, Solutions that are practical, effective, responsible, libertarian. And uh, it's out there. It's an Amazon bestseller now internationally. It's there. I have a podcast. It's called All Rise, The Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. In fact, uh, I've invited several of these uh, libertarian candidates on the show. They did marvelous work. So I can get this media out. Having spoken against our nation's drug policy, I've been on John Stossel shows. I've been the O'Reilly Factor twice. He didn't like me that much, but I keep coming back. So I've been there. And secondly, Larry Sharp, talk about somebody that's a Mr. Libertarian. He and I, there's my dog walking out on me, but he and I will be able to get that message out. He is, does that, so do I. And we will be able to help the down-ballot candidates much more than any other other candidates here. So that's a really important factor. We have helped them. I haven't stopped running since 2012. Larry Sharp has been running as well, helping that message out, getting out these messages. And finally, people need a third voice. They need that option for Biden or Trump. They're hungry to have that third choice. It will be Gray Sharp 2020. Visit us. Go to my website also, judgejimgray.com. You'll see that I am transparent. Finally, I've written a musical. It's called Convention, The Birth of America, about the Constitutional Convention, how important it is. And I actually, at the Mississippi LP Convention and California, actually sang the encore, which is basically you, you are the we. It's George Washington looking at the audience now in 2020 saying, okay, we've given this Constitution to you. Now it's up to you. It's yours. Carry it forward. Carry it on. Protect and defend it. Keeping it strong. I won't inflict a song on you right now. Maybe some time later, but I believe I can help us party and help our country. Thanks, Judge Gray. Mr. Hornberger. Uh, ever since I joined the party in the early 1990s, I served on the platform committee for three terms. I have believed that the greatest asset of this party are our principles. I get the feeling sometimes that there's some people in the party who believe some of our principles are liabilities and albatross. I have never believed that. And I think this unique role we have in this party, the party of principle, is just the greatest asset we have. Right now in this crisis, the, the world is crying out for leadership. And we can lead America out of this morass by adhering to principle. And that means just rejecting all this hash of conservatism and republicanism and, conserv and, and libertarianism and progressivism and run a campaign of pure principles, being who we are, fighting this who we are, not as Republican lights, not as Democrat lights, fighting as libertarians, being true to ourselves. That's number one. Number two, principles, our philosophy is practical because it's the only practical solution to all the crises that are facing America, the healthcare crisis, the economic crisis, the, the immigration crisis, the education crisis, this crisis we're going through today libertarianism is the way out. 
And so if I'm accorded the honor of your nomination, I'm going to make that case that if you like the direction America's heading in, vote for Biden or Trump. Doesn't matter. You're going to get that direction. You want a direction of peace, prosperity, liberty, harmony, and health? Come with us. And uh, finally, I think it's important to run an exciting campaign. I think the cardinal sin of politics is to run a boring campaign. And to run an exciting campaign, you've got, an, you've got to excite your base. And how do you excite your base? By adhering to principle. Once you start watering down your message to try to get more votes, you're going to lose your base and you're going to lose that excitement. Thank you, Mr. Weber. Mr. Whitney. Um, yeah, exciting the base is a great idea. Unfortunately, the base is a tiny drop in the ocean of Americans. I've spent the last 15 years performing in large cities throughout North America, uh, primarily for Democrats and Republicans. And in about 85 minutes, they're on their feet cheering for my libertarian life story. So that's reason number one why I should be the nominee. The other reason is uh, I have a, a libertarian family. We're 100% in the private sector. All of the money, every one of my family has made, my wife and I and my two sons, has been made in the private sector. A lot of libertarians like to talk about the wonder of free markets. They are enamored with markets. Well, I actually have customers. Did Mises ever get a customer? I don't know if he did. I don't know how many votes Mises got, but I got a lot of customers, about 40,000 lawyers uh, subscribe to my software. Uh, I don't need social media. I contact them directly. Uh, social media rewards idiots. In terms of money, uh, $500 million. That's what Mike Bloomberg spent. He got eight delegates for it. Uh, money is not going to get libertarians anywhere. Money. What are you going to do with money this year? What are you going to do? Rent a stadium? We need to nominate somebody fast. That's what we need to do so that person can start campaigning. All right. Thank you, Mr. Whitney. Uh, Joe Jorgensen. Yes. First, I have experience. I was the VP oh. candidate in 1996 when we doubled the party. I was on over 300 radio shows and traveled to 32 states. So I know what the campaign trail is like, and I've done that before. Secondly, I can present the message keeping to our principles in a way that other people will want to flock to the Libertarian Party. When I joined the Libertarian Party, when I joined the movement in 1979, I was just so excited about the Libertarian Party and I started talking about freedom and uh, liberty with passion and isn't this great? And basically I was told, oh, you're part of the Libertarian Party? Aren't they just a bunch of angry white men who don't like to pay taxes and who like to smoke pot? And I was just so crushed by that. And I realized that a lot of that was the message. Liberty and freedom are great. And it, we can present the benefits to the voters out there, but we have to present it in a way that voters will be attracted to it with, without compromising our principles. And that's the tricky balance is how do you present the principles, but present it in a way that you can sell to the average person out there. There are 45 million libertarian leaning people out there. We need to bring them in with the right message. I have the right message. And third, I put the Libertarian Party first. I always have. I, I've never had a, a side agenda such as building my own business or building a 
you know, uh, a mailing list or selling books or anything like that. Everything I've done has been to put the Libertarian Party first. And my goal would be to not only work on my campaign, but to also help the down ballot, to help other people who are running for U.S. Congress and uh, U.S. Senate, and to keep them in the loop and to present them with a lot of our research so that we all have the knowledge to overcome the Democrats and Republicans. Thank you, uh, Joe. Um, our next question is multi-part, um, and for this particular question and answer, um, I, I've got to set it up. Um, as you may be aware, the president just temporarily halted immigration. Governors are temporarily shutting down businesses and churches and temporarily placing restrictions on everyday life in a number of ways in light of the COVID-19 outbreak. Some people have argued that those protesting against these restrictions are violating the party's non-aggression principle by going out in public or trying to live their everyday life and potentially exposing others to COVID-19, which could kill them. Um, and here's the three parts to the question. Number one, do you believe that some or all of these restrictions are appropriate to save human lives? And if so, which ones? Number two, do you believe people who go about their everyday lives and potentially expose others to COVID-19 are violating the non-aggression principle? And three, if you are opposed to those actions, how do you sell that to a public that appears to love these infringements on liberty? And we'll go ahead and start with um, Judge Gray. Well, and thank you. And these are very poignant questions, really important questions. You know, I don't believe that the government has the right to close down these businesses. And if you show people, it's arbitrary. Where you've seen people, I have a hardware store, for example, you're closing me down as non-essential, but then they can go to the box stores and they can buy hardware and everything. So you're harming me and helping my competitors. People should understand that. What I say is it took libertarian courage to stand up to politicians because politicians right to protect themselves. And all these governors and mayors and the rest, they are saying, oh, I'm going to do everything I can to keep you safe, keep you healthy. And then if you stay healthy, wow, I'm a hero. Or if you get sick, well, you can't blame me. I did everything I could. But they didn't consider the balance. They didn't consider what they were doing, closing down hundreds of thousands of businesses, many never probably to recover, taking away, what, tens of millions of jobs. Those are harms, too. That was a, an aggression we should not stand for. And you know, it just gets so arbitrary. Mommy government, closing golf courses, for heaven's sake. So we make recommendations. Stay healthy. No one wants to get sick. Stay healthy. Keep your distance of six feet away. Don't go near people if they're not wearing masks. Wear a mask yourself. That's something that's smart. And by the way, too, we all understand that the federal government has failed us because they should have been having a plan. They don't know what the emergency will be. It could be an earthquake, a fire, a, a, a tornado, or a pandemic. But once it happens, it's too late to plan. Libertarians would plan. They would have those things ready. So we understand immigration as well. You can, if you are a business owner, you can advertise hey, we're not going to allow people into our store unless they're wearing a mask. We have a filtration system. We will take care of you. We will keep the distancing. We'll only have 20 people, 15 people in the store at one time. And then us, the adults, customers, choose. Now, look, if, I have, if I'm 80 years old with pneumonia, I'm not going to go into any store. But otherwise, we as adults should be able to choose. That's the libertarian way. That's not the popular political way because they're protecting themselves. We need libertarians to lead in this area. It's called libertarian courage. It's within our principles, and it actually works, too. Thank you. Um, and I guess I should mention on this one, I, I have been allowing an extra minute, three minutes, because of the compound question. Uh, Mr. Hornberger. 
I couldn't disagree with Judge Gray more. Uh, you've got a dysfunctional healthcare system today. You've had it in existence for more than 30 years. It's based on central planning, which is a socialist construct. Uh, that's why you have all this stuff that, that, that Ludwig von Mises called planned chaos. That's why you have all this tyranny. The idea that a libertarian is going to become president and become a, a better central planner than Donald Trump or Joe Biden is totally fallacious. There is nobody that can make this system work. And that's the message that we need to communicate to our fellow Americans, that, that we've reached a dead end road with their system. You've got a dysfunctional economic system, which has left people without even savings to get through this, this uh, crisis. You've got a dysfunctional healthcare system that's based on central planning and planned chaos, shortages of this, shortages of that. You've got a dysfunctional uh, monetary system that's also based on central planning where they're now plundering and looting people that, by destroying the currency. We, what I wanna do if I'm accorded the, the honor of this nomination is argue to the American people that we libertarians want a new system or new systems, systems based on liberty and free markets, a total free market healthcare system that gets the government out of it entirely. I don't want to be a better central planner. I'm not going to be any better central planner than anybody else. It's central planning that is the problem with freedom and free markets, a total free market healthcare system, uh, an economic system where people keep everything they earn and, and charity is entirely voluntary, where people can save money, where they would be, they'd have plenty of savings to get them through two or three months of unemployment, where you have a free market monetary system where the government is, cannot debase and destroy our currency. Now we're talking about a genuinely free society. We're showing Americans how to get out of this crisis. And it's the only way to get out of the crisis. Libertarianism is the only way out of this, which means freedom and free markets. And that's the positive case that I want to make to the American people <clears throat> as, a can as a presidential candidate for this party. Thank you, Mr. Permitter. Mr. Whitney. So getting back now to the real world, and I operate in the world, real world. As I said, I've been a CEO. I've been a chief executive for 20 years. And the most important thing for any chief executive, and this has nothing to do with who the best central planner is. The most important thing is to be honest. So if you're the president, you're, you're a governor, you're one of the 51 chief executives, the most important thing is to be honest. The first words, the first words out of your mouth should be the same words that are in our party's platform. The Constitution shall not be suspended even in wartime. There is no mechanism within our constitutional framework to suspend the Constitution. So that's message number one. Uh, the other uh, part, message number two, the other part of the real world is, in the real world, citizens look to government to see what the government has to say. So if I was in the position of being behind a real presidential podium instead of the one I've constructed here, I would say, look, uh, I have access as president. I don't have I don't have the authority to close things down. But I, I we've been talking to some some people here that are scientists and doctors. Uh, I got a doctor here who's going to come up and tell you a story about he just got, got his will together and his estate papers together. And he cries every night when he goes home. And he strips down in the basement, and takes a shower before he hugs his children. So in the real world, I find that pretty persuasive. So we have a virus that's affecting the entire globe. That is a hell of a lot more contagious than it is deadly. There's a lot of things that we don't know, but I think there is a role for the chief executives uh, in our government to provide people with guidelines. And that's what I would do. I would provide people with a set of best practices and guidelines 
It would be voluntary. Uh, ultimately, the private sector is going to dictate how we get back to work. My uh, company here where I'm located, my headquarters is in San Diego. I'm across the road from Qualcomm. Uh, Qualcomm makes, makes all the chips. So they make barbecue, sour cream, uh, whatever flavor you want. They make chips. And uh, so uh, Qualcomm's got a management issue. All their floors over there are cubed off. People sit in cubes. So the private sector is going to have a lot to say about when Qualcomm goes back to work because Qualcomm has to be able to buy an insurance policy to cover themselves from liability when the employees get together and file a class action suit for not providing a safe work environment. So that's the real world, and that's where I operate. I don't operate in this fantasy land like Hornberger. Thank you, Mr. Wendy. Um, Joe, yeah, Joe Jorgensen. So your first question is, are restrictions like this appropriate? And I would say restrictions like this are never appropriate in a free country. This is a horrible twisting of our Constitution. We should never have been put in a position like this. And your second question is, does this violate a non-aggression by... Um, you know, by spreading the virus and talking to somebody else. I would say only if you broke into somebody's house and tried to cough on them. People, you know, in a free market, people are more than welcome to stay home. And there are a lot of people who are, uh, you know, in, in a reduced capacity who, who, whose immune system is down. Uh, my mother, for instance, I encouraged my mother to stay home and to stop going out to restaurants long before the government told her to. So she was free to do that. And she's got neighbors who help her out. You know, our country is wonderful when it comes to the free market and helping one another. And that's what my mom is getting right now. A lot of people are bringing her groceries and she's doing just fine. Now, unless somebody breaks into her house, she can remain safe. Uh, the third question was, and, and I believe you used the word sell. How would we sell that to the people? And I would like to point out that sell is the important word because we can't just yell liberty and freedom and say, you know, the Constitution says we can't do this. We have to show how the libertarian way is better. And that's not hard to do, first of all, to a lot of people. We see a lot of protests out there. Americans are Americans. They're an independent spirit. That's why they came to this country. I'm the granddaughter of immigrants. People came here for freedom, and we're seeing a lot of uh, protests out there, which is great. What we need to do is we need to explain how the FDA got in the way, how we needed more testing, how we had a, a president up there saying, no, if you don't have symptoms, you shouldn't get tested, even though almost 80% of the people have either no or mild symptoms. So once again, the free market and Libertarian Party way is the best. Thank you, Joe. And finally, Adam. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a great three-part question. The first part, are any of the restrictions imposed by government in the coronaphobia crisis appropriate? Of course not. Absolutely not. No questions asked. No crisis gives the government a right to tell you what you can and cannot do with yourself, with your private property, and to set whatever your own standard of risk might be. And so to the second part of the question, is this violating the non-aggression principle to go out and live your daily life, to exercise your rights, to go out and peaceably assemble and protest? No, of course not. Now, if you're going and violating someone's personal space and introducing them to your the vapor of your cough, you know, perhaps we have a new standard of six feet distance, what is your personal space? Don't violate that. That's fine. I go out because I talked to Dr. Mary Ruard about this, interviewed her on my show uh, last week. She says, you know, it would be polite. I would like people, even if you don't feel there's any risk, to, to wear a bandana. And if you're in crowds or you're in places where people want 
that protection that you can show that respect for their standards. I was at a protest in Phoenix on Saturday with a free hugs t-shirt. Nobody cared. Everybody was acting normal. It was a really beautiful scene of defiance. And I wish more libertarians were there taking part of this. Jim Gray, uh, so you said that it, it, this is where courage is required. Uh, Judge, did, did you go to any of these protests? And can we, I, my video froze a while ago. Can we get everybody else on screen, get a show of hands? How many of the other candidates have actually done something to show that libertarian courage and protest? Um, I'll have to see whose hands are up later. So the third part of the question, how do we sell this to a public that is scared and supports a lot of the lockdown policy right now? Honestly, it's keep doing what we're doing, sticking to principles. There is a point where the curve of anger is going to outpace the curve of fear. And if we're principled and consistent, we will be there when people get more angry about the virus than they are, uh, or more angry about government than they are afraid of the virus. After 9-11, there was a point where support for the invasion of Afghanistan was off the charts. And in hindsight, people realized, hey, it was a bad idea. The same thing is going to be true about the coronaphobia crisis. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. You know, I heard Joe say earlier, I have the right message. Well, where's the proof? What I have and what I've been doing is the proof that the message of representing principles the way that I do relating to current events and being inclusive and, and bringing people in with them is the right message. That localization, the non-aggression principle, that the way that I'm communicating it proves that we are able to bring people in with the right message. And Jacob mentioned we can't have a libertarian who's going to be a, just a, a better central planner. We have to offer a real alternative. Well, isn't everybody else here who's saying they're going to keep the federal government going, saying that they're going to be centrally planning something? Even Jacob, who wants to keep certain services of the federal government going, he's going to be centrally planning those things. Thank you, Adam. I'd like to have a rebuttal, if I may, just for a moment. As to something Jacob said, you know, he either didn't do his homework or he's just got the wrong guy. That if I'm if he's accusing me of central planning, I'm the opposite of that. You know, ed choice, freedom free choice in schools is the opposite of that. We need to empower parents to choose where that government money is going to be spent for the education of their children. And in fact, mostly in lower economic areas, uh, Hispanics. African-Americans, that sort of thing. Same thing with regard to healthcare. but let's be realistic too, because if we go out there and say, like I would, let's repeal Obamacare, two thirds of the voters are going to think, you don't care about me. So what you do is replace it with something. I use Milton Friedman, the school, the vouchers, the healthcare vouchers, let on a sliding scale, let people use those. Then you bring it back completely to the private sector, bring back competition. Then the people can use those vouchers for healthcare insurance or for co-pays. So it's the best combination. People will appreciate it. And uh, Jacob, I don't know why you were talking about me that way. I, I'd like to use a rebuttal if I may there. Um, I'm sorry, who was that? Kokesh. Yes, yes, sir. Go ahead. Yeah, so when I hear these other candidates railing against central planning, I'm like, this is awesome. They're endorsing my platform. I'm the only candidate who's offering an actual meaningful alternative to central planning. So I would just put it back to Judge Gray here. You're saying you should be president. You're saying the Constitution gives you the power to run this institution, to have this authority, to centrally plan all the things that you're going to keep about the federal government. So if you're not on the same platform as me, if you're not saying we're going to dissolve the entire federal government in, in a peaceful bankruptcy process, 
what parts of the federal government are you keeping and how is that not central planning? Mr. Kukash. All right. Um, our next question. Wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. I had rebuttal time. Okay. Mr. Wormerter. Yeah. Uh, Judge Gray, you are a central planner by your very answer. You are an advocate of public schooling. You couldn't find a better example of a socialist central planning apparatus than public schooling. And your voucher system is just nothing more than a, a socialist plan that steals money from one group of people and gives it to another group of people. This idea of health savings account is another futile attempt to make this health care system work. It cannot be made to work. It is based on central planning and your minor reforms are going to accomplish nothing. And, and Mark, you changed your tune on this. You Last debate, you wanted a big panel of experts, just like President Trump, that was going to advise you because, again, you're going to be centrally planning this. And, Adam, you call for 50 nation sovereign states, uh, Virginia, that's going to have sovereign power with no Bill of Rights, no Constitution, with Medicare and Medicaid and central planning, and you're probably going to be the guy in charge of central planning this. Joe's the only one that's got this right. Freedom and free markets is the only solution. A separation of healthcare in the state, a separation of education in the state, a separation of money in the state, and a separation of economy in the state. That's genuine freedom. Thank Except you. that Jacob wants to centrally plan uh, protecting Kukash, people from are you state using government. Another rebuttal? Up. No, I'll leave it at that. Okay. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> my to. turn. My turn. My turn to rebut. <laughs> Mr. Whitney, yep. Go ahead. Oh, this card in the ring here. You know, uh, uh, the uh, the way that Adam and Jacob talk is the reason nobody has this locked up. That's why Judge Gray is here. Up in Michigan, it took the nine ballots to uh, pick a winner. This race is wide open. And I want to I want to just real quick re review some numbers for you as to what happens when you engage in fantasy. I had a debate with Kokesh and he told me he's only technically running for president. And Hornberger may also himself just as may as well be technically running for president. The nonsense he talks. Here are the numbers, right? Libertarian numbers. Seats in the United States Senate. Zero. Seats in the House of Representatives. Zero. Governors. Zero. Seats in state upper chambers. Zero. I could go on. Zero is literally nothing to build on. Everyone needs to get in the real world here. And uh, I'm going to give Judge Gray a compliment here and say uh, 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 thanks for joining me in the real world. Thank you, Mr. Whitman. All right. Well, well, can, I, can, I get, can I get just just because I, I need to ask. If you want to use a rebuttal I, card, you can. No, no, no. It's, it's, no, it's no, sort no, of a no, technical no, question. I, no, my, my video is frozen. I can't see what's going on on the screen anymore. Okay. It's, the, the, it's frozen my browser. When I asked uh, how many people had protested, how many people, which, which okay. candidates raised their hands. I'm going to charge you with a rebuttal card if you want to go there. Oh, I didn't see. Okay, then I won't go there. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Our next question um, is some within the political realm are talking about holding China responsible for the COVID-19 outbreak, including by failing to share timely and accurate information about the outbreak of the virus. These measures um, may include financial sanctions and embargoes. Uh, do you believe these calls for action against China are appropriate? Should they be held accountable? And if so, how? Uh, and we will begin uh, this one with Mr. Hornberger. Absolutely not. What, what, what this administration is doing, the Trump administration, along with the, the complicity of the Democrats, is absolutely horrendous. Uh, you know, remember, before this even crisis started, President Trump started a unilateral trade war with China. 
uh, where he, he bankrupted American farmers and then he uses the money from tariffs that he raises unilaterally without even congressional approval in, in the finest dictatorial fashion to establish a welfare plan for farmers uh, that then they, they impose sanctions on like on the people of Iran that are leading the Middle East in terms of this virus and the death toll and the infection. I mean, this is just it's what Hannah Arendt called the banality of evil, where good people are doing evil in the name of doing good. Sanctions against North Korea, sanctions against China. I mean, we're all citizens of the world. We're all in this together combating this illness. And for the U.S. government to maintain this brutality of sanctions and trade wars is just absolutely the height of immorality. It's the height of destructiveness. It's, it's something that, that if I were elected president, I would unilaterally immediately cancel every single sanction and embargo that's been imposed by executive order. And then I'd go to Congress and say, lift the embargo on Cuba and lift all other sanctions and embargoes that have been established by law. These embargoes and sanctions target innocent people for the purpose of achieving a political goal. That's no different from terrorism. And this country should not be in, involved in that kind of process. Armbrother. Mr. Whitney. Yeah, the Democrats and Republicans uh, are owned by the risk management industrial complex. And that's why we hear all this Cold War talk with China. I'm not just the only candidate running for president in any party, but I'm the only citizen to sue the president to end the participation of U.S. armed forces in a foreign civil war. 2011, I sued Barack Obama when he unilaterally started dropping uh, bombs on the nation of Libya. And uh, so whenever, whenever there is a way to twist a crisis around, to blame a country that is not populated by white people, you can depend on the Democrats and Republicans to do that, right? It doesn't matter whether, it doesn't matter whether they are uh, uh, from China or Japan or whether or not it's some Muslim country, uh, you are at risk whenever the United States finds itself in a crisis, uh, you can look forward to some bombs being dropped. As president, uh, the only time I would use a bomb is to intercept missiles uh, that were heading toward Cleveland or, or some other city. Uh, otherwise, uh, uh, the, the U.S. military industrial complex would not be used. You do not bomb countries that have not attacked you. You don't talk shit about countries uh, just because you make a living doing it, which is what these Democrats and Republicans and their corporate owners do. They've been doing it for the last 20 years. They've got Americans hysterical. 75% of Americans right now can't sleep at night. And when I'm president, everyone's going to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So should we hold China responsible? Anytime somebody does something negligent or even on purpose, yes, I think that there is a reason to go after somebody to make them pay for it. Because if you don't, then they just might do it again. Now, I don't know, somebody else mentioned sanctions and embargoes. I, I don't know what that has to do with it. I would want to go to the lab and ask them to be held accountable and uh, not, not, uh, not, we got to keep the countries separate from the citizens of the country. And of course, we don't want to uh, penalize the citizens. Of course, we don't want to stop free trade. But I don't see why the lab shouldn't pay for their mistake when they did this. And apparently, and let me say, I, I'm not going to suggest we sue them today because we still have to um, find out exactly what happened. Of course, 
Um, you don't go out and make baseless allegations, but that's where it's headed. And if that's what it looks like happened, then I don't see any problem with asking them to be held accountable. And keep in mind, that's one way that the free market works. Is it holds people accountable. If you do something wrong, then you get punished either by the free market or th through the courts or something else. So no problem with the courts doing it. What I would like to bring up, though, is the World Health Organization. And I'm glad that President Trump stopped payments there. My only complaint is he didn't stop it his first day in office. If I were president, I would completely get out of the World Health Organization. Uh, I, once again, as with everything else that we find that we're part of internationally, is we end up footing the bill for all the other rich countries and some poor ones too, and then we get the brunt of it. Uh, the World Health Organization has done nothing to help us, and anytime you add a bureaucracy, it just makes things worse. So we need to be a free and independent country and have our own health care system and not be part of some World Health Organization. All right, uh, Mr. Kokesh. So I'm grateful that I get to go after uh, Jacob on this question because he did a really good job answering that question from libertarian principles. And I'm, I'm generally on board with what he's talking about when it comes to free trade. And you know, there's no excuse for government to interfere. And Trump starting this trade war before coronavirus uh, you know, even became a thing. Yeah, that was already criminal because it's interfering with the right of individuals to trade without government interference. But there was something about that answer that is really lacking, and it's in the messaging that and I don't want to single out Jacob on this. A lot of libertarians do this. I think most other candidates here buy into this framing of open borders versus closed borders. And no matter what side you take, if you accept that framing, you're going to trigger somebody. And if you say, I'm for open borders, well, then everybody who wants to be able to control their communities, immigration policy is going to say, well, no, I don't want anything to do with that. And if, if you're for open borders, you say I'm for closed borders, then the obvious violations of libertarian principle are, are apparent. The answer is private property borders. And you can get this at the community level, have communities setting their own immigration policy. If you want to have a community where you disassociate from people of a different type, you have that right. If you want to live in a sanctuary city, you have that right. And a better framing of this question is what's a legitimate border? Do we have private property borders, community borders, or government borders where you can't trust the government to control immigration anyway? And reframing it this way is way more inclusive. Thank you, Adam. And um, Judge Gray. There we go. Yes, and thank you. First of all, the free market in education and competition, Adam, is, or Jacobs, is exactly what I propose. Same thing with regard to health care. So that's that's free market. That is what works. Quality, bring prices down, competition. As far as the arbitrary interferences in trade, the tariffs, for example, it's just a terrible decision. And by the way, if you get all of these the people involved, yeah, we had the tariffs on China. So then the Trump administration gives recompense to the corn farmers. That's what happens at Iowa, it's a bunch of corn farmers, and they're the first presidential caucus. Do you think there's a connection? But they didn't do that for the wheat farmers. You go back to these bailout, the $2.2 trillion, what a mistake. And you can, maybe you didn't see this, but the Kennedy Center received something on the order of $15 million as compensation. Somebody asked why? Well, why? Well, because they were closed down and they were hurt. Yes, but what about all the other theaters in the country? You see, it's arbitrary. 
the government involving these things is simply a mistake. And people will understand that as well they should. We are mentioning Cuba. I was in Cuba, and we were the only tough guys on the block that are still maintaining this embargo. It's hurting the people. It's not hurting the, co the government. In fact, we, by the embargo, probably kept Fidel Castro in, in office for extra time because everything he would ask, everything, everything would go wrong, he could always blame the Yankee embargo. And to some degrees, it just simply rebounded against us. Yes, no of these embargoes, no to these sanctions, We, but like Joe said, and she's right, if, Q, if China is stealing our technology, stealing is what they're doing, they should be held accountable for that. And if they're invading our, our intellectual property, they should be held accountable for that. We do it publicly. We show people, wait a minute, this is what China is doing, and the world market will see it, the world community will see it, and that's what actually works. These are libertarian values, not this artificial stuff that the Republicans and Democrats do. We are going to prevail. Thank you, Judge Gray. Um, we're going to pivot at this point in our debate to some general uh, election questions. And for these questions, assume that you've received and won the nomination. Um, I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to use one of my one minute. Yes, point. sir. Yep. Yep. Uh, Jim, I just can't let you get away with this. I mean, you, on education, you are a proponent of public schooling, compulsory attendance laws, school taxes, forcing parents to send their kids to this government institution. Your running mate, Larry Sharp, wrote a 3,000 word uh, white paper. It's on his website showing how public schooling can be made to work from a libertarian perspective. This is a socialist institution. The only free market approach to education is repeal compulsory attendance laws, get rid of the school taxes, and get the state entirely out of education. When you say vouchers or choice or freedom, this is all nonsense. Vouchers, you're stealing money from one group of people in order to fund the educational decisions of another a group of people, and you're trying to make your public school system work. Will you right now tonight call for a total separation of school and state and the end of all government involvement in education at the state, local, and federal level? Am I allowed to respond to that? Um, if you'd like to use a rebuttal card, you may, or you can I, wait, and we've got another question. I'll respond on. later. It's, okay. It just doesn't need that much of a response. Okay. Um, our next question, again, is dealing with the general election questions. Uh, these questions, again, assume that you've received and won the nomination and, uh, and are, are couched that way. Uh, candidates, uh, particularly libertarian candidates, run for a variety of reasons, running from putting out a message to ballot access, to obtaining federal matching funds, um, to growing the party. And some candidates run because they believe they can actually win. Um, and uh, some some candidates run to do several of those things. For you, which of these things is your candidacy about and how do you plan to actually accomplish uh, those objectives? And we'll start with uh, Mr. Whitney. So uh, things have changed. Um, everything was going great out there on the campaign trail until the virus took away the trail. So now if you're running for president, you check your Facebook page and you do things like this. So things have changed a lot, which puts a premium on uh, the first somebody like me who can cut through the crap and get attention. This little uh, this little act that the two lawyers are putting on here, uh, Judge Gray and Attorney Hornberger, you know what? It looks like a bad impression of Democrats or Republicans. And you know what people are going to see when they hear that crap? They're going to go to sleep. The national media is going to look at that and they're going to go to sleep. And the nominee will be a non-event, right? Judge Gray has stature. Attorney Hornberger's got a little stature. You know what stature is in this market running for president? 
Zero. A lot of people are excited about Justin Amash because he's got stature. Zero. Stature doesn't matter. What matters is story. I'm the guy with a story. I'm a better lawyer than either one of the two lawyers in this debate. Way better. I beat the biggest law firm in the world, 40,000 lawyers as a high school graduate. I beat them three times like a rented mule. I talked IRS down from a million dollars to $20,000. I'll be a human battering ram going at Donald Trump and, and going at uh, uh, Joe Biden, who's working out of his basement, uh, just like uh, Jim Gray and Attorney Hornberg. So, you know, let's get our act together. Uh, let's light it up. And let's stop doing bad impressions of Democrats and Republicans like these two clowns are doing. Okay. Uh, Judge Organson. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me get my timer started. Okay. So the Libertarian Party is a political party. We're not a debating society. We're not a philosophy club. Our goal is to get out there and get votes. So, yes, votes are important. And even if we don't look like we're going to win, we need to still act as though we are going to win and what we could do when we win the presidency. And I'd like to quote Ed Clark, who was the 1980 presidential candidate and the first libertarian presidential candidate that I voted for. Uh, somebody asked him, is it really possible for you to win and become president? And he said, you know, if I could sit around the kitchen table of every American home here and explain libertarianism to each family, I would win overwhelmingly. And I believe that's true. And that's the tact we have to take. Now, we can't just go after votes. And unfortunately, we've had campaigns in which people weren't or candidates weren't interested in the uh, party so much, but they were more interested in the votes. We have to be interested in membership. And as I mentioned before, I helped double the party membership back in 1995, 1996. And membership would be a top goal because what good does it do to get a bunch of votes and then have everybody who voted for us just leave and not help the movement? We're not going to all get into office all at once. We need to work on every level of campaign. The presidential candidate is a very important candidate because this is the person who kind of represents the party who people go to uh, to be interviewed during the campaign. And that candidate needs to help the down ballot, help everybody uh, down, you know, U.S. Senate, U.S. Congress, as well as uh, governor and right on down to mayor. We need presidential candidates at all levels. We need don uh, donors to help them. We need supporters. We need people ringing doorbells for them. The only way to do that is to grow the party. So I think that growing the party is every bit as important as votes. Yeah. Um Next, uh, Adam. Well, I, I'm surprised I haven't heard anybody say that we are running for nothing more and nothing less than a world set free in our lifetimes. I am running to win. I'm the only candidate with a practical platform with a solution as big as the problem ready to be applied on day one. Now, I understand that it would take a black swan kind of event, which we might be in the middle of right now in order for a libertarian to win the presidency in 2020. But we still have to be running to win and ready to win if we want to achieve a world set free in our lifetime and use the Libertarian Party as the vehicle of achieving that and building to that. A more realistic goal for the Libertarian Party for 2020 that sets us up for a victory in 2024 is to have a breakout year for the party. And we have been trying to do this for far too long and failing with the old strategy, banging our head against the wall, expecting different results. 
And we have to dig deeper our principles and offer people the unifying message that can bring Americans together from all across the political spectrum and say, look, localization, it's the everybody gets what they want strategy. This is, uh, you know, covered in my book, which I, I'm, I'm going to mention because it came up uh, as, as, as some, some of the candidates are here to sell books. My book's available for free. I know Joe, Joe Jorgensen made that accusation. Joe, I highly recommend you read my book. It's, it's, it's free in every digital format. I'm giving it away. And it's, it's, it's a way to get principled messaging that is proven to work. It's proven in everything that I've done. This is what works. And speaking of which, I want to give a shout out to Mike Heist, who just joined the live stream. I got to see his comments since I got my video back. Mike behind the Mises caucus and bringing so many people into the Libertarian Party who used to work for me with Adam versus the man. He knows what works. He's a great messenger. And it's exciting to have people like him who understand what we're talking about when we say we need to present something that is fundamentally radical and dismantling the current system as a real alternative. Judge Gray. Thank you. Uh, Adam, I've read your book. You gave me your freedom book and thank you for it. It was very well done. Good for you. And with regard to the idea of brick through a window, radicalism. I was recently on Pat Ford's show podcast, and he was saying, I'm going to close down all public schools. And I said, you know something? I understand the idea, and I'm not unsympathetic with it, but you're going to scare people. Ten years from now, you're going to be a purist, but you're going to still be in this worse shape than you are today. What I would rather do is have school choice, have some charter schools, have some vocational schools, have some private schools, religious, vocational, military, whatever, and then ten years from now, people say, wow, hey, that really works. I want to go to their too. We have competition, Jacob. We have competition in the school district, and that will bring excellence. So it is free market. Yes, we're going to pair these things back. And if the public schools end up doing a better job, terrific. So what is my strategy? I can tell you very directly. In fact, we will understand we're never going to have the tens of millions of dollars to compete with the Republicans and Democrats in big states like California, New York, Texas. We all know that they're going to go the way they're going to go. We're going to look at five small states, five independent states, and we're going to put all of our resources there. No, if the New York Times talks to me and wants to interview me, of course, but we're going to go there. Larry Sharp and I will do that. We'll go to town hall meetings. We'll talk to people in roast grocery stores, wherever, and then we'll tell them your vote will make history, which it will. You can, if we win two or three of those small states, first of all, take the revolution that would come to the Libertarian Party if we were to win one of those states. You'll see forevermore the map of the United States of the election. Yes, the reds and the blues. And then, wait a minute, there's that gold state there too. We're going to do this. And if we win two or three, it could very well be that neither Trump nor Biden will make enough electoral college votes. It could very well be thrown into the House of Representatives. No Republican would vote for Biden. No Democrat would vote for Trump. We would win this election. It's certainly possible, and we're enthusiastic. Thank you. Uh, finally, um, Mr. Hornberger. Yeah, I've heard this for 30 years from the Republican lights in this party that, you know, Judge Gray's position is no different from the Republican Party and conservatives. They're going to make this socialist system and make no mistake about it. Public schooling is a socialist system. It's found in Cuba, North Korea and here in the United States. And he purports to make it free enterprise by calling it choice. It's nothing of the sort. 
And there's no way for him to reconcile his Republican-like position with the libertarian non-aggression principle. The only principle that is consistent with libertarianism is freedom and free markets, the separation of school and state. And what's interesting on his website, he favors separation of church and state, but he loses faith in freedom when it comes to education. One can imagine Mark uh, Whitney over there in 1787 or so when people were coming up with the, the, the Bill of Rights. And him saying, oh, we don't want to deal with these stupid ideals and principles, due process of law and freedom of speech. Just make me the president because I know everything and you can trust me with political power. Our principles and our ideals are our greatest asset in this party. And people will respond to those principles and ideals if we present them correctly. That's what we need to do to get out of this. I have no interest in running an educational campaign. I want a campaign that's going to win, that's going to go after Trump, that's going to go after Biden. I have no pretensions about what our odds are, what maybe a half of a half a percent or something. But you get in there and you fight to win, but you fight to win with your principles, our principles. Those are our weapons, principles, ideals, sound ideas on liberty. The, Prince, the Democrats and Republicans have the money. They have the power. They can keep us off the ballot in several states. But we have what they don't have. We have our principles in this party of principle. We have our ideals and we have sound ideas on liberty. I'll take those into battle any day of the week. Hornberger. Um, our next question. Uh, yeah, I'm holding up a card over here. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. So here's the deal, Jacob. We don't live in 1787 America. We live in 1865 America. We live in 14th Amendment America. That's the America I operate in. And, you know, one of the things I noticed while Judge Gray is answering the question, he's talking about the town halls he's going to be going to. Nobody's going to town halls this year. Okay, this can't. I want you to look at me right now. Who's the best in this thing of talking to a camera right now? I talk to a camera better than anybody on the planet. Nobody talks to a camera better than me. Judge Gray hasn't looked into the camera once this entire debate. You can't nominate a guy who can't find a camera. Jesus. This should be over. Let's just go. Let's just do this, okay? Holy shit. Find the camera, Your Honor. Mr. Whitney. God damn. Yeah, what? All right. Mr. Kokash. Yeah, I want to actually have a small re rebuttal here and respond to one of the comments that I've been seeing on the screen here. First, uh, Judge Jim Gray said, you know, you can't be radical or extreme. I forget the exact wording, but I, I think what, when we use the word radical, we need to actually use the word properly. And the definition of radical is striking at the root of the problem. So I think of Henry David Thoreau, who said, for every thousand striking at the branches of evil, there is one striking at the root and my platform is the only one that does that but it was zane wallman in the comments who said he's an undecided libertarian voter and he wants to know if he can be convinced by which of the candidates lives libertarianism i think i've got that one hands down the day i was nominated or the day we announced this campaign i got arrested i ended up facing four felonies beat all of them in texas i live off grid i'm building my own homestead i do all my business under the table i represent this more than anybody else in this debate right now having lived this you can look at my public record you can even read my my uh, corrupted spam wikipedia page Hands down, I know I'm the only one here who's really been living these principles. Thank you, Mr. Kokash. Um, our next question, um, we're going to go ahead. It's another general election-related question. 
Uh, in modern elections, uh, success in federal elections are expensive affairs, and the money, as the Supreme Court has said, is speech with funds used to flood the airways, fund a campaign, fund campaign staff, spread the message, fund social media campaigns. Uh, Donald Trump has raised $245 million. Joe Biden has raised $134 million. Uh, the purest libertarian message is only as good as the ability to spread it. In 2016, Johnson Weld raised a record $12 million in their campaign. It raised more than a million dollars before the nomination in Orlando and used that money to receive record votes for the party. Uh, none of you, with the exception of Mr. Kokesh, have raised over $75,000 to date, and his FEC reports show fundraising receipts in the amount of $223,000. How do you intend to be successful in your objectives given your fundraising to date, and what do you plan to do to change this between now and November if you're our nominee? Uh, we'll begin it again with uh, Joe Jorgensen. Okay. Uh, let me just start that I've heard so many people say these are such great candidates. We've got so many candidates. I think we all uh, suffer from the same problem, which is that a lot of the uh, money is being spread around among many more candidates than in the past. Uh, even when I ran with Harry Brown, there were only three people seeking the nomination for the president, uh, presidential nomination. So I think that does have something to do with it. And of course, the virus uh, put a damper on things as well. A lot of people are out of the jobs. So that's one thing we've got to take into account. And that's, by the way, another message that we can go to people and say, hey, we're the people who aren't going to keep you home, who aren't going to kick you out of your job. Uh, people, you know, uh, government officials do not have the right to tell you to stay home and not earn a living. And What's funny is when I see these epidemiologists on TV, I just saw one locally, uh, a, a very nice woman, she seemed like. She was a PhD, uh, you know, on her computer from her home, talking about how people need to stay home another month. And my thought was, well, yeah, you've got a PhD and you're working from your home. How are you going to have uh, servers and store clerks, retail clerks work from their homes? So uh, I, I think the virus is, has also made a dent. But I would like to point out, that you're absolutely right that uh, uh, Gary Johnson raised more money than anybody and, and in the history, and he was a fine candidate. However, those votes did not translate into members. And what we need are members, because uh, after 2020, we're still going to have 2022, 2024, we're going to have local elections. We're going to have, um, we need to spread the word. We still need people out at the fair, as I used to work at. We still need people gathering signatures. So the only way to do that is to bring more people into the party. And we need to get votes, but we have to focus on membership. Thank you, Joe. Um, Mr. Kokesh. Well, I think you already answered the question for me, Chris. I appreciate that note. I don't have to repeat my own numbers on the FEC reports. But yeah, it's the money follows the message. I'll quote Ken Armstrong again, another one of the great candidates. And if you have a message that resonates with people outside of the party, you're going to get money from outside of the party. You're going to bring in more resources to the party. That's what we've been doing with this campaign the whole time. And, you know, what, what Joe said is that there are more candidates. And so the same amount of money is being spread around. To the you know to, to you know more different pools, and that's only a problem if you can't bring in people from outside of the Libertarian Party. And you know we have some candidates who are very popular within the Libertarian Party, but then we have you know I don't think other than you know myself, John McAfee, maybe Vermin Supreme, 
who have proven appeal outside of the Libertarian Party. And since, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously just, I'm doing the right thing. We're raising record amounts of money. I just want to take this second to say victims of family law, being able to reach people who feel that they have been disadvantaged in divorce and family courts and worried about child custody issues. This is one of the things that I am doing that is resonating with people outside of the party that is helping build this coalition. Every American has been negatively affected by a divorce, worried about losing their kids, been a child of divorce like myself, or in some other way had their life negatively impacted by this issue that gets swept under the rug. Talking about these real world issues that impact people's daily lives that libertarians aren't talking about, that's how I've had success. That's what I'm going to keep doing. Thank you, Adam. Um, Judge Gray. Hi, Mark. How you doing? By the way, you said that people are going to be sleeping. They're not going to be sleeping if they're laughing at your jokes. You do a good job. And I think Thanks. we're seeing a little desperation from, from Jacob as well. But, okay, look, the understanding here is that Bernie Sanders did a really good job in getting his message out on the media. And I have numbers of people. As you probably know, I only filed last Friday. And I took over from Governor Chafee, his staff. We have numbers and numbers of people in the social media. Then just donate. whatever, and we're going to get a fair amount of money. But we're not going to spend it in the high media markets. That's really crazy. California, New York, I've already mentioned that. These are things that we really can do. So, yes, money is speech. You can't get away from it. But Arianna Huffington, actually, after I ran for Senate in 2004 as a libertarian, said, we really, almost semi-tongue-in-cheek, we really should give the election to the candidate that raises the most money and do away with the elections. And to some degree, maybe that's happened. But people are fed up with this polarization. They need a third voice. They need someone that they can go and believe in, someone that's been there. And I have started programs. I've been successful. I work well with people. I actually, as a judge, settled the first Catholic priest's child sexual molestation case in the country. I can listen to people. I'm trained as a judge to listen, to gather accurate information, to make a decision and explain it. I will be able to do this on our behalf because when it comes down to it, we don't need all these slogans. What we talk about works and people will understand that even without their tens of millions of dollars. I think I can do that well. Larry Sharp is doing it well and will continue to. And the down ballot candidates we've been working for for a very long time will continue to do that. Joe, I know you have too. We'll do this together. We must get this party rolling. Now is the best time in my lifetime and I'm going to up me up to the job. Thanks, Judge. Great. Um, Mr. Hornberger. Yeah. No, notice when when uh, Judge Gregg says that I'm too radical and that's the the uh, accusation that he's making on the on the Internet in this race, that all he's really doing is indicting libertarianism. I mean, because that's what I stand for. He, he's not suggesting that I stand for something different from libertarianism. He's saying libertarianism is a bad philosophy. It's a ra- too radical philosophy. And notice it focuses on votes. You know, if, if we want the five million dollars or 10 million dollars and we want big vote totals, why don't we just bring Jeb Bush into the party? Mitt Romney, let him let him be the, the presidential and vice presidential candidate. We'll get ballot access. We'll get lots of votes. We might even win. What difference does it make? This is a party of liberty. When this party was conceived in David Nolan's living room uh, 49 years ago, the objective was a free society. 
And it was a radical philosophy, a beautifully radical philosophy. I say, let's embrace this philosophy. Let's not run away with it. Let's not run a Republican-like campaign because we're scared of losing votes. Let's stand up to the American people and be honest and genuine and say, this is who we are. Why do we want to be a Republican-like? Why do we want to be like Mitt Romney or Jeb Bush and advocate all these Republican-like campaigns uh, positions? Why don't we be libertarians? Why don't we stand for who we are? Why don't we go into this battle with pure libertarian principles? Wherever the money falls, the money falls. Whatever the ballot access happens, fine. Whatever the votes are. But at least we fight as who we are rather than who we're not. And, and, we, and we may go down. There's no question about it. We could play it safe with, with Judge Gray as the nominee. I mean, that's playing it safe. We get our three or four percent, maybe even five percent. And everybody's excited. This party's been here for 49 years and, and we're excited about a three or 4% return. I say, let's roll the dice. Let's do something bold. Let's run a pure libertarian campaign. What Judge Gray calls a radical campaign. Yes. That's our philosophy. Yes. Uh, Mr. Whitney. You know, the whole purpose, really, when you get down to what are we honestly doing here, the Libertarian Party every four years runs a very well-orchestrated publicity stunt. And while Jacob and the judge are arguing over who's more or less radical, the audience right now watching agrees that they're both boring. This is a publicity stunt. Also, what are you going to do with money? What are you going to do with money this year? Run advertising? Bloomberg already proved that doesn't work. He spent $500 million. And Jacob's right. You could bring Jeb Bush over and run him as the nominee, and it wouldn't move the needle. You know why? Because when you nominate a certified pre-owned Republican, you're betraying your own brand. It's a short-term gain, but it lacks vision. And if you do that again this year when this asshole Justin Amash comes over, shame on you. If Justin Amash is the nominee, I will not support him. If Jacob or Judge Gray is the nominee, I will support him. If I'm not the nominee, I'll run for vice president. I will not support Justin Amash. If you're the party of principle, stop nominating these criminals from these criminal organizations who come over here at the last minute, grab the $10 million and wander to their family and their consultants and just say, fuck the Libertarian Party, and then they're gone. Stop nominating these pricks. Thank you, Mr. Whitney. Um, our next question uh, is uh, some current questions for each candidate. Um, and uh, we've all been online, we've all seen um, some of the criticism that the campaigns are flying back and forth. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and it's going to be a different question for each candidate. Uh, Mr. Kokesh, uh, you're first. Um, you've been arrested multiple times. Do you think the American public will take a candidate seriously who has been arrested multiple times? I don't think they would take a candidate seriously who hasn't stood up for what they believe in. I am absolutely proud of all of my arrests. None of them are accidental so much as deliberate acts of civil dis that is that all the time no, we get for this one Sorry. okay all right yeah i didn't know this was a lightning round but that's cool uh no i i appreciate the question and i think that what i have done is 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 prove that when you stand up in civil disobedience when you stand up for what you believe in you inspire and you motivate and you bring other people in most people who are going to be inclined to vote libertarian first see themselves as victims of the system one way or another it's not the captains of the football teams and the high school cheerleader squads who are the first to challenge the status quo. No, let's, let's acknowledge who we are. We are the outcasts and the rebels and the misfits and the 
square pegs in the round holes and in, in many ways the downtrodden and like i said in my you know answer to to the question on screen before uh from zane you know that this is just one of the ways that i have lived it and i think again to quote thoreau you know in, in an unjust society the only place for a man of conscience is behind bars if anything compared to my standard of how much we should be rebelling at this point I have been uh, uh, unfortunately timid, and yet people know me as the guy who does civil disobedience. And I think that national reputation as someone who has more mainstream media hits than all other candidates combined, I think that's a great way to connect with people. Kokesh. Judge Gray, um, the next question is for you. The hour is late in this campaign season, and you just announced your candidacy. Some delegates and LP members find that this is disrespectful to the existing candidates and delegates to the National Convention who have undertaken efforts for months to campaign and learn about the field. Why have you waited so long, and what do you believe that you bring to the table that's not present in the existing field? Chris, it's a handicap for having come in late, and, and you probably know my story. Uh, I was two weeks ago on a telephone conference call with Lincoln Chafee with his staff when he announced that two hours from now I'm going to tell the Wyoming litiga uh, delegation that I'm bowing out. I tried not to. I tried to tell him, look, be loyal to the party, be loyal to your country. He bowed out, and their staff asked me to run. And I said, no, I don't think that that's, that's going to happen. And then they said, well, me, oh, be loyal to the party, be loyal to the nation. So I said, okay, give me two, two, three days. I'll call people around the country and see. I got the, I got endorsements. I got uh, people that were enthusiastic. And finally, when I was talking with Larry Sharp, he was enthusiastic. And I say, okay, Sharp, put your money where your mouth is. If you will run with me, I will run as well. His response was yes, yes, yes. But it's a handicap. I haven't been able to go around the country and meet with people and show them who I am. Uh, so they've had an unfair disadvantage really against me, but I'm willing to take that on. I think that we are good and we will bring things to the Libertarian Party that, that others can't. Uh, otherwise, you know, I think that my background will, will hold me in good stead. I've been there. I've shown I'm Libertarian. I've had that courage. Press, press conference as a sitting trial court judge took a lot of heat for it, but that's the right thing to do. I will, I've been there in the Peace Corps. I care about people. I've been in the military. I'll be able to identify. So that's, that's where I am. I'm proud of it, and I'm going whole hog. I still say we will do you proud, and I mean it. Thank you, Judge Gray. Uh, Mr. Hornberger, the next question is for you. Um, one of the things a successful general election candidate needs to do is to sell our platform and principles to general election voters without compromising them. And, and that includes independents and dissatisfied Republicans and Democrats, particularly if ballot access is a concern, which it is for some of our affiliates. When we go to your website, one of the things you feature is ending Medicare and Social Security cold turkey and not compensating those who have paid into it and have had it stolen from them for their entire lives. What makes you think that this is the right message for general election voters? Because it's freedom. Uh, a free society necessarily is one in which charity is private. It's voluntary. This is a forced coercion system. It's forcing young people to care for their parents. It's saying freedom won't work. What gigantic insult could you have uh, to young people than to say, we need the IRS to force you to take care of your parents if they come in need to help others? In fact, young people and the disaffected people are going to be one of my target audiences. I don't have any, if I'm, if 
if I get this nomination, I, I, I have no pretensions that seniors are going to vote for libertarians, but they're not going to vote for any libertarians because all they're going to do is look at the platform. So all these little privatization plans, seniors are not going to pay attention to that. They're going to go with Democrats and Republicans because they know that their check is safe. Young people, you go to them and you say, look where they've left you. You don't even have a nest egg to get through this. They have plundered and looted you to the tune of trillions of dollars. And what they're saying is you can't be trusted with freedom. Well, I have no doubts that young people can be trusted with freedom. This is what we need to recapture in this country. A belief in ourselves, a belief in others, a belief in free markets, a belief in church groups, neighborhood groups, charitable organizations, and get rid of all this welfare statism along with the warfare statism. And then on health care, I mean, why do you think we have this out of control uh, spending problem that's just bankrupting people? It's because of Medicare and Medicaid. I've been saying that for 30 years. I published a book in 94 called The Dangers of Socialized Medicine. If you want out of this morass, you've got to get rid of these socialist programs. We had the finest healthcare system in history before Medicare and Medicaid. Nobody even needed healthcare insurance. Hardly anyone had it because healthcare costs were low. They were stable. Going to the doctors was like going to the grocery store. And it was Medicare and Medicaid that caused the healthcare crisis to soar out of control, perpetual healthcare crisis, Obamacare, and then gradually to fully socialized medicine. What we've got to do is recapture a faith in freedom and free markets. It's the best thing that could happen to everybody in this country, including seniors. Thank you, sir. Mr. Whitney, the next question is for you. Um, one of the things a successful nominee will need is a coalition of libertarians behind him or her to work on the campaign and spread the message. Given your attacks in this campaign on Mr. Hornberger, the Mises Caucus, the Libertarian Party of Florida, and the list goes on and on, including people who were critical of those actions, what makes you believe that you could somehow pivot and build that support if you're the nominee? Well, I assume I'm talking to adults, not children. Uh, again, I remind you of the record of the libertarians, zero in the Senate, zero in the House of Representatives zero governors. That's the record, right? So do we have an enough adults in this party to put on our big boy pants and really go after it? Do we? You know, I'm not advocating fraud. Jacob says vote for me because I want to commit the biggest fraud in the world that's ever happened. I want to disenfranchise. I want to, I want to, I want to rob the people who have paid into social security of all the money they've paid in. That's literally what he's running on. I know a little bit about fraud, right? I spent some time in federal prison 30 years ago for lying to the bank. I know more about fraud than anybody here. I would never advocate that. It runs against our party's platform. So if you want to be transactional and you want to get some results, I'm the guy here doing business. If you want somebody to be your friend, I'm not that guy. That's not why I'm here. I'm a businessman. I'm doing business here. Look at this set I have, right? Look at the lights. Look at the presentation. I'm ready to do business. I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass and pretend I want to be your friend. I want to go out there and I want to see Donald Trump and Joe Biden. I want to see wet spots, wet spots form in their pants when I take them on. That's what I want to see. And that's what I'm wired to do. And that's what we need to have. And that'll get publicity. My story will get publicity. And let's just disqualify anybody that's advocating fraud. Let's just do that right now. Let's just grow up. Really. Let's grow up and go after these people, right? You don't need me for a friend. You need me for a torpedo. Thank you, Mr. Whitney. Um, finally, um, Joe uh, Jorgensen, um, 
You were Harry Brown's running mate in 1996, but for those who have joined the party after that year, um, we haven't really heard of you. Um, what have you been up to that would be considered promoting the LP in any significant manner between 1997 and 2018? So a lot of people have asked me that, Where what happened to me, and also uh, have you gone Republican? I can tell you that I've been purely libertarian. I have voted libertarian in every um, every election, and I've been uh, not as vocal before because I needed to quickly change my career. Unfortunately, shortly after the Harry Brown campaign, I found myself in the what would be called the buggy whip industry or the blockbuster video store, and I needed to find a career really quickly or I was not going to be able to support myself, which would not help the Libertarian Party at all. So I received my PhD in industrial organizational psychology, and I um, started a new company. And by the way, um, Mark, great to see you. I uh, just wanted to let you know that actually I've had uh, 20 years as a CEO as well. Um, and then I went back to school again, and basically I've gotten three graduate degrees and a graduate certificate since then. And I wasn't able to come to a previous, you know, of course I came to the 2018 uh, convention, but I was unable to come to some for a few years earlier because I was in school and we had Saturday class. And if we missed more than one class, then we would be failed from the program. So basically I've been um, getting my life in order so that I could be able to run again. Because anybody who runs for office, uh, you, you can't just do it couch surfing. You have to have a certain amount of funds. You have to have a certain amount of credibility. I think that having a PhD does lend credibility. Notice how people would talk about Dr. Nancy Lord and Dr. Mary Ruart. So now I've got some credibility along with that. And I've been um, also reading up and just, you know, being more behind the scenes. Joe, um, for our um, viewers at home, uh, there's a link at the bottom of the debate uh, for a voting link uh, to vote for um, your favorite candidate. Actually, there's a couple questions on there. Please do that. We're going to have some additional debates in the future, and who gets invited to that will depend on the results of that voting link. So, um, again, it's lpky.org slash vote in all capitals. It's HTTPS. Um, so please uh, take a look at that. Our next question um, is uh, to uh, Judge Gray. Um, um, Judge Gray, uh, obviously uh, your support for the 2016 Libertarian Party ticket is well known, including your friendship with Bill Weld. Uh, when Bill Weld said in 2016 that someone should speak up for Hillary Clinton, were you supportive of his statement? And if not, did you say anything to him about your disapproval of it? The answer is, first of all, I, I didn't know Bill Weld until two weeks before the convention. Candidly, I thought that Gary Johnson was going to ask me to run again, but I think he was the right choice because he'd be able to get national media. He is not my friend. I, I have only met him for the first time at the convention. And yes, I was horrified, and I spoke out publicly, horrified with regard to Hillary Clinton's talk. And yes, I did talk to him. He, it was a betrayal, simply flat out and simple. It was a betrayal. And, and that's simply not something. But to go back a little bit, you know, we can be a libertarian debate society if we want to be. I'm very concerned when when you're hearing Jacob say things like we're going to close down Medicare, close down Social Security. If he is our if he is our candidate and he says things like that, it will set the Libertarian Party back decades. 
we're trying to claim our, our, our identity. We've allowed people to brand us as no one, any government. And, and that's simply not true. There is a function of government. It's called Article 1, Section 8, Section, eight, section 8 of the Constitution. And they're in, in their rights are enumerated. By the way, as far as the Constitution is concerned, I'm proud to tell you that the Constitutional Rights Foundation of Orange County names its Judge of the Year award after after me. It's Judge Jim Gray uh, Award of the Year. So I'm into the Constitution. I've written a, a musical about it. I write about it, liberty and, and the Constitution and libertarian. We're not a debate society. The purpose of our existence is to win elections. And imagine again, if we were to win even one state, it would be a revolution for us. And then we will start making progress with regard to education and healthcare, like I was talking about. Incrementalism, yes, because if you're a radical, like we've heard some of these comments, you're going to scare the voters. We'll be philosophically pure, and then we'll be in worse shape next year than we're in today. That's not me. There's That's a bright line of differentiation. I want to move us forward to be more free, more with liberty, less government intrusion, including the income tax. I have a thought about that as well. The intrusion is unbelievable. Yes, vote libertarian and elect libertarians like Jeff Hewitt and, and uh, California and is a supervisor of Riverside County and numbers of good others. That's what we need to do. We're a political party. We have to win elections. All right. Um, Mr. Hornberger, the next question is for you. Um, outside of libertarian circles, uh, you're practically unknown. And as you previous, as we previously discussed, you raised $65,000 thus far in your campaign. Uh, recently, you went on the attack against Justin Amash and his potential entry into the presidential race. Given that Mr. Amash is likely to have fundraising and earn media exposure that's in the tens of millions of dollars, why do you feel like you're the better candidate if he should enter the race? Well, I'm, I'm going to shock Mark Whitney because, <laughs> <laughs> Mark, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that if Amash comes into this race at this late stage and, and circumvents all these debates, it, it's, it's, it's a travesty because... Amash, yes, he's libertarian, but he's also a libertarian conservative. He shares many of the same Republican light views that Judge Gray does. He believes in Medicare and, and, and Social Security. Even while these guys rail against socialism, they, they embrace these socialist programs. Social Security and Medicare originated among German socialists. America lived without these mandatory socialist programs for more than 100 years. Our country was based on voluntary charity. These guys, these Republican likes, they don't really believe that freedom works. That's that's the real problem here. They have no faith in freedom. They have faith in statism and force and the initiation of force. And I think that 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 Amash should have come in here. Look at us debating. We're fighting it out. We're hitting it. The, the voters, the delegates are being able to see where everybody stands. This is not an easy process. And everybody here can verify that. Look at Amash. He suspended his congressional campaign back in mid-February. He could have come into the race at that point, participated in the debates. I've, I've attended 19 conventions. I've loved it. From mid-February to mid-March, I attended 10 conventions, loving it, participating in debates. And he could have announced in mid-February, but what he's doing is playing this dance where he's over there, I'm hinting coming, I'm hinting company. But the entire strategy is don't make me be in your debates. Don't put me through this arduous process where my views, my conservative views, 
sanctions, sending kids to the CIA on his website and others to favoring a stimulus package that he doesn't want those things tested in the crucible of debate. And I just think that's wrong. I think it's absolutely wrong that if you want to come into this party after serving most of your political life as a Republican, then come in and do our process. Put yourself up to this debate process. Thank you, Mr. Hornberger. Um, our next question is for Mr. Whitney. Um, Mr. Whitney, you've undertaken a brash, um, some people have called it a Donald Trump-like style in your campaigning, including you know, the use of profanity, um, highlighted that style, your experience with the federal felony conviction as pluses. Given that Libertarian Party candidates receive well, typically little to no press in a given election cycle, what makes you think that you this style would be successful in getting earned media in a general election where following the usual pattern with controversial third party candidates, the media is just likely to censor and ignore you completely. Uh, the Libertarian Party uh, in the last three elections has not nominated controversial candidates. That's the whole point is nominated Republicans. So right now, the way the world is set up right now is the establishment is radical. Donald Trump and Joe Biden are radical choices who who. Are, who rest their their uh, their presence on radical platforms written by the Republican and Democratic National Committees. The Libertarian Party platform is eight pages. It's the most establishment platform in American political history. It tracks perfectly the Bill of Rights. And the reason I'm the great candidate here is because money isn't going to matter this year. It's going to be story. The way I learned the Bill of Rights was as a high school graduate who was banished to prison and I learned so much about it. I beat the largest law firm in the world three times. I got my sentence declared unconstitutional. And unlike that guy in the Shawshank Redemption, I didn't have to swim out the sewer. They opened the front door and let me go. And then I started a company where lawyers buy the law from me. And I created an award-winning show called Fool for a Client. That's won dozens of awards all over North America. I end up on the cover of Story Magazine with Drew Carey and Russell Brand. Nobody. Nobody running for president in the Democratic Party, the Libertarian Party, or the Greens Party has a story like that. I will be considered a threat because I'm confident on stage. I'm intimidated by nothing. And I adjust appropriately to the venue. Uh, as for profanity, sometimes profanity is appropriate. Sometimes you need a little spice in the stew, as George Carlin used to say. And again, I cite to the Libertarian Party's Wikipedia page, 48 years of decorum, 48 years of decorum, and you have nothing to show for it. And since I was most active in this party from 1995 to 2005, and since this party started nominating certified pre-owned Republicans the last 12 years, the dues-paying members in this party, to the best of my knowledge, has been cut in half. So instead of doing that, a nom nominate an establishment private sector CEO with a normal family who can put his big boy pants on and bring the story out to the big boy media and not put people to sleep. And oh yeah, I know where the camera is. Thank you, Mr. Whitty. Our next question uh, will go to Joe Jorgensen. Um, Mr. Jorgensen, in prior events, you've spoken on the two Harry Brown campaigns, how the 1996 campaign was about growing the party and the 2000 campaign was about achieving uh, voting results. Uh, if you had to choose, if you were forced to make a choice between the two, um, which would you prefer, more national members or retaining ballot access for affiliates where it's important? Oh, okay. I guess you confused me because I thought the question was going to be, what do I want more, votes or membership? 
ballot access is extremely important. And I was thrilled to, in 1996, be on the ballot in all 50 states. And we haven't done that off that very often. And I'd like to do it again. Um, the thing is, is the way you get ballot access uh, so yes, you can get it through uh, through votes, but you can also get it through membership, through people donating money to get uh, people out there collecting signatures. So I think the I, I don't see the dichotomy between ballot access and votes. I see the dichotomy between sometimes maybe having to choose between votes and membership. And I would like to point out, you didn't quite complete the sentence I'd said before. I'd like to point out that Harry Brown went after votes in 2000 and actually membership really suffered. And even going after the votes, the votes didn't come out to where they wanted to be. They were trying to go for a million votes and they didn't get it. But could I, since, since that was a rather short answer, I'd like to comment on the Amash question since other people have chimed in. And uh, Jacob said that Amash is a libertarian. I don't know if he is or isn't. Uh, a small L libertarian anyway, but I do know that he is not a member of the Libertarian Party, and that's what matters. When he left the party, uh, the Republican Party, instead of becoming an independent, he could have joined the Libertarian Party. We could have had our first sitting Libertarian congressman ever, and he didn't do that. That's what we needed, and I'd just like to ask all the voters out there, all the delegates, how great would it have been to have a Libertarian sitting congressman? And yet he didn't give us that. So I, uh, we need somebody for the presidential candidate who cares about the party first. Thank you. Uh, last, um, I'd like I'd like to use a minute there. Um, you do have one more, yes, sir. Okay, uh, I, I want to uh, endorse what Joe Jorgensen just said. That when 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 Justin Amash left the Republican Party, he could have come directly to the Libertarian Party. He chose Independent instead. And, and notice also that he could have come to any of our conventions. I mean, you don't have to be a member of the Libertarian Party to go to a convention. You can be a guest. I went to nine or 10 conventions last year in the spring. In the spring. I wasn't a candidate. I just hung out with Libertarians, arguing, debating, discussing, having a good time. Some, most of them let me give a talk. If Justin Amash had said, hey, I want to come to your conventions, I want to just give a talk. Every state convention, I guarantee you would have said, we would love it. You're a congressman. You're going to draw a crowd. We can get new members. Zero. Not one single state convention has he ever been to, at least this year, and I think last year as well, much less enter these debates. And, and, and the question is, why? Why? It's because when I say he's libertarian, I'm saying small L libertarian. He's an Austrian economist. Uh, he, he's good on civil liberties, but he's a conservative. I got a second rebuttal, I believe. All right. You, you do, I have, sir. A, I have a second one? Okay, yeah. Yeah, Actually, I'm just ready to drop. Rebuttal. You do. But go ahead. Oh, so this is my last one, right? Yes, All right. sir. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to drop a bomb on Joe and Jacob here because to hear them criticize a mosque for not being active enough in the party, coming from them, wow, that's really rich. You know, and Joe, you said, we want someone who cares about the party first. When, when you were asked about where have you been for the last 20 years, you said you needed to change your career. You cared about your career before your activism, and you didn't care about matching those up to make them compatible or synergistic as I have in dedicating my career 
to the cause of freedom. And Jacob, since he ran what, in, in 2000, uh, you know, against Harry Brown for the nomination, how many, how many state conventions have you gone to in the intervening years? If you guys want to play this game about who's got connections with the Libertarian Party, I've been a member since, I've a bit, since, I, since I was first able to afford uh, the lifetime membership when I got back from Iraq. I've been a, a registered Libertarian the entire time I've been registered to vote, uh, in, except uh, for Ron Paul's strategy, of course. I've been a lifetime member since 2004. I've stood up a county, organized college Libertarians, run for Senate. Where have you guys been? And to all the candidates. Thank you, Mr. Kokesh. Mr. Kokesh, the last um, directed uh, question is to you. Um, you have suggested that if you were elected, you would file an executive order to dissolve the federal government on day one. What would right. stop the Supreme Court or Congress from overriding this executive order? And would the American people uh, simply perhaps make things worse by recreating the same government, perhaps with fewer protections for things like the First or Second Amendment? Oh, absolutely not. I think that's really missing the most critical part of what this platform represents is that you know, and, and Mark Whitney tries to make fun of me because I said I'm, I'm not running for president except in the technical sense. Well, yeah, because you have to be a psychopath to want to be president of the United States. You give me the ring of power. I know what I'm supposed to do with it. Throw it directly into the fire. And I get asked, is this platform constitutional? Heck no. Of course it's not constitutional. That's kind of the, of the, the point of all this. We are appealing to the higher authority known as the Declaration of Independence, which says we have not only a right, but a duty to alter and abolish systems of government that no longer serve us. So it doesn't even matter if, if I somehow lose my principles. If the American people decide, if they are given the option to say, we are putting our foot down, we are not putting up with this crap any longer, no jerk in a suit in an office somewhere in Washington, D.C. is going to stand in our way because we will have clearly asserted that this is no longer the law of the land. The will of the American people reigns supreme. And if we say it's going to be this way, then this is how it's going to be. I have that much faith in the American people. Okay. The next um, uh, portion of this debate is a candidate-to-candidate uh, -candidate, uh, question. And um, we will begin, it looks like, with Mr. Hornberger. All right. Uh, Judge Gray, with respect to your positions on Social Security, uh, health care, education, and immigration that we've discussed today, can you tell us how your positions differ from positions held by the Republican Party? Good heavens. Boy, what a softball question. Yes, indeed. You know, if we go to the degree of saying we're going to abolish Social Security, we're going to abolish Medicare, I would I, I was raised in the 50s and 60s. We had really good medical care back then. Competitive, like you said, we didn't have any absence of emergency rooms. We, people were getting getting emergency care and, and other care, too. But it's here. It's what there is, so let's recognize it. Just because I recognize the reality doesn't mean I embrace it, which is a word that you used. No, I don't embrace it, but I'm going to show people how limited government will be so much better. And in fact, you can show them that, that military schools, 
private schools. They don't have nearly the administration. Hey, bring in excellence, competition. Let's bring in competition to a school, bring in competition to healthcare. But if we don't win an election or we don't get those words out, it's not going to be helpful. It's not going to be successful. We show our young people, hey, this deficit is a is a burden on you. You are bankrupt. I'm about to expect my first grandson today, by the way, Hudson, bless you, but he is bankrupt as we speak. No, these are things that libertarians will bring. Incrementalism is a good thing. Yes, the American people are smart, but let's show them and show them how they too can see, wait a minute, this isn't necessary. Private sector works better. The government is involved in crony capitalism. Libertarians would not be. Libertarians are the only party that aren't going to profit by being involved in government, as opposed to Republicans and Democrats. This is what I stand for. This is what I've done, Jacob. And, and I think that you should be a little more proud of me. It's kind of desperate to keep calling people names. Uh, but uh, at any rate, I'll let you run your own campaign. I will run mine. I'm proud of what we're doing. And if we do win one state, that will be a revolution that will really gain attention. And then we'll make progress. I don't care for attention. I want progress. And we're going to result in that. Judge Gray. Um, Mr. Whitney, the next question is yours. Um, okay, so my question is uh, for Jacob. I've said if Justin Amas is the nominee, Who's Mr. I will Whitney? Not... Yeah, can you hear me? Hello? Huh? Oh, there, there we go. Okay, so my question is for Jacob. I've said if Justin Amas is the nominee, I will not support him. I think if, the, if it's a betrayal of the brand. So I'd, I'd like to ask your opinion on this. And if you get it right, I will endorse you as vice president. <laughs> Vice President with you? Well, uh, you know, we could do that. We could do that. Uh, yeah, I I would not endorse Justin Amash. I mean, I would right. vote for him, uh, right. but I would not. Why did I endorse him? I, I think what right. what he needs to do is come into the party, join us, and and get to know us, uh, hanging out at our conventions. I mean, this is a guy that hangs out with Bill Crystal and. George Will, you know, conservative, Tom Massey. He doesn't hang out with us libertarians. I say, come into our party, hang out with us, and let us get to know you. Let us know where you stand on these conservative issues you've taken, like sanctions against Iran and the, the stimulus bill, which is an abomination, uh, sending kids to the CIA. And then over a period of four years, then we can see, hey, let's see how things go. But to come in here at the last minute, and, and circumvent all the debates and the crucible of debates, I just don't think that's right. I, I, I absolutely do not think it's right. And so, but I've always voted Libertarian and I will vote for whoever this party nominates. Thank you, sir. Um, the next question is from Judge Organson. So I have a question for Judge Gray. Well, I'm sorry, let me start my timer. I'm not used to having a timer, I'm sorry. And I get one minute, right? Right. I'm not okay. So I just started it. Okay. So Judge Gray, when you were the Libertarian VP nominee in 2012, your list of 13 primary issues, including having government combat childhood obesity, synchronizing traffic lights, mandating that auto insurance be no fault, converting the U.S. to the metric system, reclaiming our borders, and adopting a revenue neutral fair tax. As a Libertarian, why did you consider these to be among your primary issues 
while not including issues like bringing home our troops and cutting overall federal taxes and spending. It seems like a, a topic like childhood obesity is more relevant for perhaps a Democratic first lady rather than a presidential nominee from the Libertarian Party who wants to reduce the size and scope of government. And Joe, thank you. Uh, I'd forgotten those things. Uh, I, I agree with you in many of them. Uh, Ron Paul said, it was his statistic, that there's something like 400 military reservations that we have around the world. And we could close 300 of those without even half trying. We should audit those things. We should look at, for a fair tax would be, well, anything would be better than what we have today with regard to the income tax. I just signed mine about a week ago, and I'm modestly intelligent. I can't even understand my own tax return. So we should go to something simplified, much, much less intrusive, and uh, and those are very important things. Yes, childhood obesity is important. It's not a federal issue. I don't know how that wandered in there. It just isn't. But uh, yes, our troops, we would require today on my issues, a declaration of war. By the way, that's in the Constitution, and we would not have any of our troops serving in combat longer than 60 days uh, without a declaration of war. That's hugely important. The deficit is hugely important. Those are the things we look at now, and those are things that will get people's attention, and, and we will be able to, to provide help for our country, particularly in this polarized world that they're in. They're grasping. They're anxious to have a third voice. I think that I can be that with Larry Sharp. We will do that, and you'll certainly have a spot in our cabinet, Joe. Thank you. All right. Um, the next question is from Mr. Kokesh. Thank you, Chris. My question is for Jacob Hornberger. My uh, alleged running mate to be is John McAfee, although he might not be able to come into the country. And of course, I was, uh, you know, we co endorsed each other before anybody else jumped into the VP race. But if he's not able to, and the Libertarian Party does want to go with, with our platform of localization, the everybody gets what they want strategy, the unifying strategy, would you be able to advocate for this if you were my running mate? Would you be ad able to advocate, since you talk about dismantling so much, if the Libertarian Party goes to, to true localization, and whether it's me or anybody else at the top of the ticket as the nominee saying, you know what, I'm not going to put on the ring of power. I'm going to throw it into the fire. Would you be able to back the LP going in that direction? Well, your, your plan is not what you purport to say it is. You're, you're, you purport that, that you're an anarchist, that you want to abolish. No, that's, wait that, that's not, hey, that's, wait a minute. No, I'm wait a, a minute. Now, wait a minute. I'm a volunteer. That's now. not fair. It's my time and you can use your card later. You've already asked the question. Now I'm going to answer your question. You've got a plan, and I've pointed this out to you. You just block it out of your mind that calls for abolishing the federal government, which is ridiculous because Congress is going to impeach you on day two of your administration. And on day three, they're going to send, they're going to convict you. And on day four, they're going to send the 82nd Airborne Division to the White House to evict you. Now, your plan calls for 50 state sovereign nation governments just like the federal government. You don't want to abolish the state governments. You want to convert them into national sovereign states 
with omnipotent authority because you hate the Constitution, you hate the Bill of Rights, you hate the 14th Amendment. So you want omnipotent government, totalitarian government in Virginia, where the state government right now is trying to take away our guns, that, that a state government that had segregation, that had slavery under your system that you call decentralization. It's not decentralization at all. Decentralization is taking the FBI, abolishing it, and sending it down to state and local governments. Your plan is to create 50 sovereign nation states with omnipotent totalitarian power that have socialism, uh, interventionism, foreign affairs, no constraints whatsoever. That's why I oppose your system, because you're advocating omnipotent totalitarian government. Right. Thank you, sir. Uh, Our final question will come from Judge Gray. Judge Gray, the question is yours. Yes, and thank you. Uh, Jacob, I'd like to ask you a question. I don't mean to intrude on our private discussions, maybe, but you and I were at the Libertarian Convention in Mississippi, which you'll remember, and at the point you said something about what you would do as president with the military that horrified me, honestly, and it calls into mind the comment by Thomas Jefferson that any society that would beat their swords into plowshares will soon be plowing for someone else. What would you do if you were president as to our military? Uh, Jim, you forget the conversation. Uh, when when we talked about this, uh, I explained to you that a national security state apparatus, which you obviously support, the the CIA, the FB, uh, the the NSA, and the massive military industrial complex, including the Pentagon, this is an alien form of governmental structure that that our country was was never founded on. It came into existence in in 1945. A, a national security state is North Korea, Cuba, China, Russia, Pakistan, Egypt, and post World War II United States. This is what you support. And this is what I was explaining to you at that Mississippi LP convention. Our government was founded as a limited government republic with a basic military force that is oriented entirely to defense. Look at John Quincy Adams' famous speech, In Search of Monsters to Destroy. They didn't believe in going abroad and all these wars and so forth. On your website, when you ran as vice president, you have that you wanted to replace American troops in Iraq with foreign troops that would then do the killing in place of, of American troops. Why not just bring them home? This was a war of aggression. It was an immoral war. They, the U.S. should never invaded Iraq. And for you to call for the national security state to be replaced by national security states from foreign countries to kill Iraqis is a moral abomination. I want to dismantle this totalitarian governmental structure that is that is in it is alien to our form of life because the only way you can achieve a free society is true limited government. Now you 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 give lip service to limited government, but at the same time you you endorse the Republican position of a national security state, which I ardently oppose. I favor a limited government republic with a basic military force that has a foreign policy like Switzerland oriented entirely to defense. Thank you, Mr. Kornberger. Um, we will now uh, proceed to closing remarks. Uh, each candidate has two minutes each. Um, Judge Jorgensen, you, you, oh, never mind, you're using a rebuttal right now. I was about to say, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so I wasn't actually, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a psychologist, not a licensed psychologist, so perhaps I shouldn't say that. But um, I, I, you know, I hate to, sometimes dignify 
some attacks. And so I resisted responding to Kokesh, but I've been reading the announcements and apparently people would like me to respond. And I would like to please the delegates just like I'd like to please the voters. And uh, he said, hey, couldn't you have done, you know, like maybe gotten a career with the Libertarian Party or made money with the Libertarian Party or whatever? I'd like to point out that you said. Not what I said. Okay. Um, well, you said that you 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 made a career in the Libertarian Party, and that you no, were- that's not what I said. No, but that my career has always been compatible with libertarian activism and supporting the party consistently. Yeah, so is my part, or so is my career. But I'd like to point out, you said that you got a um, you got a membership to the Libertarian Party as soon as you could have afforded one. Uh, no, that- no, no, that was the lifetime lifetime membership. Right, the lifetime, lifetime membership. So it was a thousand dollars in two thousand four. Okay, I'm the one with the card. <laughs> uh, so since I only used one of my rebuttals, can I try to finish answering? Because yeah. that was I realized that was one minute. Here's the thing. my The business that I was in, i uh, you can tell I'm a true libertarian because my company duplicated software, um, computer software. So, yes, I was in the computer business. Uh, full-fledged libertarian. What I did was I copied floppy disks uh, first and then later CDs. And of course, when the internet came out, that was like having the rug pulled out from under me. And uh, I don't know if you have any children. I have two kids. I had mouths to feed. And yes, I had to put my children's priority first. So I um, worked hard to get a degree that I could do something with. Uh, the problem with being a homemaker and staying home with your kids, as I did, which a lot of people, you know, some feminists look down on that. I think if you want to stay home with your kids, that's a great choice. That's a gr- that's the choice I made. I had no way to get out there and earn a good living in the marketplace. So I did what I needed to do for my family. But I did not turn my back on libertarianism. I just did more background stuff. Thank you, Mr. All right, we're now going to move to the um, final uh, closing remarks. Um, I am going to assume that each of the candidates that has remaining cards wants to use their time um, for their closing remarks. Ms. Jorgensen, you had one minute left. Uh, You had one card left. Judge Gray, you had two minutes left. Mr. Whitney, you had one minute left. Um, Mr. Kokesh and Mr. Hornberger have used their cards. So two minutes uh, just to wrap up, um, everyone. And uh, Mr. Whitney, we will begin with you. Okay, so I think there's a a clear distinction that is formed here tonight. I think if Justin Amash gets in, then you're going to have three lawyers to pick from, and the media is going to be bored by all of them, right? Because lawyers are boring, and we don't need any more lawyers in Washington. Uh, My story of the law, however, is very interesting. It's interesting. It's funny. It's poignant. It's sad. I represent 25 million people that share my civil disability most of whom are not even allowed to vote in this country. So the libertarians might want to think about that. 25 million, that's quite a few people. And I think there ought to be a 28th Amendment. I think that amendment ought to say the right to vote shall not be infringed. I think felons ought to be allowed to vote. They retain the high office of citizen when they go into prison. I think it's a great way to tell them that we want them to be civically engaged. And these are the only citizens that we live among who have the opportunity to live the entire Bill of Rights. And I just want to draw the distinction also between uh, Adam and the lawyers. Adam uh, opposes the Bill of Rights. A lot of the people in the party these days, they say you don't get your rights from a piece of paper. But your rights are secured by this piece of paper. So as president, my job 
is that if Adam Kokesh is the only citizen of the United States who wants to have a house full of guns and 300 million citizens oppose him, the Second Amendment commands me to defend Adam, to defend the individual. And that's what our system is all about. That's what our party is all about. It's about the rights of the individual. I'm the only candidate that's taken a stand against political censorship in this entire campaign. It cost me it cost me a lot of a lot of trouble that would not have been a problem 10 or 15 years ago in this party, believe me. But it is these days because people are looking for a friend. I don't want to be anybody's friend. I want to do business. I want to take it to these criminal organizations, the Democrat and Republican National Committee. I think everybody here today wants to end the war on drugs, the war on trade, the war on terror. I think everybody here today, all these candidates agree we shouldn't spend money we don't have. The American people agree with us 75% on those issues. As you're a nominee, that's what I'm going to be talking about. I'm not going to be talking about entering into a racketeering conspiracy to end Medicare and burn your grandmother in the alley. I'm not going to be doing that, right? I'm going to be looking into the camera because I know where the camera is. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. The major media will love it. And Donald Trump and Joe Biden will be shitting themselves. Whitney 2020. Thank you, Mr. Whitney. Uh, the next um, closing remarks will be from Joe Jorgensen. Uh, Joe, you'll also have three minutes. Okay, thank you. So when I first joined the libertarian movement, as I said earlier, people told me, you know, when I said freedom is great, liberty is great, and people deserve to keep their own money, and the government shouldn't have to take care of people. We should be able to take care of ourselves and, of course, help each other without the government. And it sounded like a great system to me, but I was just so disappointed and shocked by the response I got. I kept hearing people say, oh, you're just selfish, or you don't care about the poor, or the one that's my favorite, which was, well, you know, not everybody's as smart as you are. We have to have Social Security. And I was just dumbfounded by, I couldn't understand why people didn't see what was clearly so logical. Well, as I mentioned, my background partly is in computers. So yes, I've got the logical uh, thinking behind that, the math and science degree behind that. And it wasn't until I sold computers for IBM and then later built my company up to be a million, uh, actually $2 million company, uh, several years ago, that I realized that when you sell anything, you need to sell the benefits, not the features. So instead of going around and saying liberty, what we need to do is we need to show voters how we can help them with their problems. So we need to explain how libertarianism can give them better quality schools, how having the government out of schools can help get their uh, kids a better education and also allow them to have the education they want where their kids' braids aren't being cut because the government says they have to cut their hair. We can show them how we can have cleaner streets, safer streets, reduce crime. We can show them how with a libertarian solution, we can reduce healthcare costs so that you can actually afford to go to the doctor. And last, explain how we need to bring our troops home now. As I've mentioned, I want America to be one giant Switzerland, armed and neutral. We would have much safer, we would have a much safer country, 
We wouldn't be getting into all of these wars around the country. We would save lives. And the thing is, is the military is supposed to be there to protect us. And what's happening is the military is actually making our lives less safe. So as your candidate, I understand that I need to go out and talk about what the voters are excited about. That's why I want to go out and talk about the environment, not because I'm that excited about it, but that's what the voters want to hear about, especially the young voters. Same with healthcare. We need to explain how the free market is the answer to what the problems are out there. JOJ2020.com. Thank you. Joe, uh, before we get to the next candidate, just a reminder uh, for our viewers, lpky.org slash vote for your favorite candidate. Just wanted to make that pitch again. Mr. Kokesh. Hey, thank you so much, Chris, and for everybody who's been tuning in and to Dan Fishman for helping make this happen, of course, for the Libertarian Party of Kentucky. I also want to especially thank Joe Jorgensen and, and Judge Jim Gray for engaging in an honest debate and, and not lying about my platform and engaging as team players, as we really have to be And much of us uh, in this race. Most of us in this race have been up to this point really part of a libertarian team bringing people together. And that's what this is all about working with people and if politics is done right it's about making friends and sharing ideas that you care about that's fun that's a beautiful thing and i love what we're doing especially because it's about localization the everybody gets what they want strategy maybe you don't like me as president well good you can have in your now independent state whatever system that you want you don't have a right to force that on anybody else and the idea of localization is get government voluntary by getting it down to the community level, making it transparent, accountable, customized to your values so it is set up to meet your needs. This is why our campaign, the heart of our campaign, has been our coalitions. We've got gun owners for Kokesh, Christians for Kokesh, stoners for Kokesh, exotic entertainers for Kokesh, first responders, military veterans, victims of family law and GSM gender and sexual minorities. This is the message that can unite people by saying, look, we respect your right to live however you want, to create systems however you want, as long as they're voluntary, as long as they're ethical. So my website's there. If you want to see what my platform really is, not what the other candidates misrepresenting, I want you to believe, kokeshforpresident.com. Check out slash platform. And if you can, after the debate today, please share it with our hashtag, Live and let live. This is what it really has to be about in the spirit of freedom and libertarianism. Go lpky.org slash vote. And if you haven't already joined, you can go to just lp.org and join the Libertarian Party, the party of principles, and we can win in 2020. Thank you, Mr. Kokesh. Judge Gray. Thank you. Look, let's do it this way. My fellow Americans, I'm a lifelong libertarian. I believe in the Libertarian Party, and you'd be surprised how libertarian you are as well. We believe in responsibility at all levels of society, individual, corporate, group, and governmental, of all things. We also believe in live and let live. You know, Thomas Jefferson said it beautifully, where I don't care if you worship one God, 20 gods, or no God. It doesn't pick my pocket, and it doesn't break my leg. This is our message, live and let live, as well as, of course, don't tread on me. Now, come on, don't tread on anybody. That's who we are. But if you tread on the United States of America, you will soon wish that you had not. 
That's what we stand for. As far as the deficit is concerned, it is a threat. It is a time bomb. Only we libertarians talk about this. Your children's lives, futures are at stake, You're much less your grandchildren's. We're the only responsible people in the room. I have lived the libertarian life. I've lived libertarian values as best I can, and I speak them. Go to my podcast. It's called All Rise, The Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. You can hear all of these various things said in different contexts. But I want to win. We're a political party, and we should start winning these elections. I believe candidly that Joe Jorgensen and Judge Jim Gray are the ones that would be taken most seriously speaking to that, putting that into the standard. Because if you scare people, they're not going to follow what you say. They're going to discount you. We, when I was running in, for Senate in 2004, was, as a libertarian, said, if we put troops into Iraq, it will be the biggest mistake of my lifetime, and nothing has happened since that time to change my mind. My fellow Americans, what is the goal today for our troops in Afghanistan? We haven't had a declaration of war where at least we could have said, who is the enemy? What, where are they? What is the goal? How will we know when we've won those goals? It's not there. We should bring those troops from Afghanistan home. Just spouting out, oh, no, let's bring all these troops home. No, express it with people. Explain it to them. Because Tip O'Neill, I'll bet this is the first time a Democrat has been quoted on this show. But Tip O'Neill once said, politics is personal. And he was right. This is personal. And if you scare people like, I'm going to abolish Medicare, I'm going to abolish the federal government, things like that. Okay, we're intellectually purist, maybe, but we're not going to make progress. If we win one state, we're going to try to win two or three and send it into the Electoral College. But if we win one state, that will be a positive revolution for the Libertarian Party. That is our goal. If Larry, if you nominate Larry Sharp to be with Judge Jim Gray, the two of us will spend our time there. He's cleared the boards. So have I. We'll spend the time. We'll spend whatever resources we have, and we will do you proud. We're going to quote Milton Friedman, who, by the way, when I was running for office, gave me a check that was a maximum donation. I almost didn't cash it and framed it, but I took a copy instead. But if Milton Friedman goes behind me, that's the thing that people, libertarians, should understand. Milton Friedman said one time, we should judge our programs by their results, not their good intentions. If we were just to get that across to our fellow Americans, it would be a positive revolution in our country. We libertarians can do that. So that's where we are. You know, yes, I recognize that we do have Medicare. It was a mistake. It's taken us down the wrong road. In fact, on the, on the stump, I say, look, if you want your health care to be governed by, in effect, the equivalent of the Department of Motor Vehicles, we're well on our way. No, I don't want that. You know, if you want to to lead the world in the incarceration of our people, where the United States of America has 5% of the world's population and 25% of its prisoners. I, Judge Gray, stand up and say, no, there are tens of thousands or more of people who are incarcerated in our country today that simply flat out should not be there. And the system should be better. I stand for better progress in the criminal justice system. I've been there. I will do this for you. I promise we will do you proud. Thank you, Judge Gray. Um, Mr. Hornberger. Yeah, when um, Bill Weld was grooming himself to be the nominee for this election, 2020, the Washington Post published an article by George Will that said, can this man save conservatism? And I'm sure that Judge Gray would consider that a great compliment. Mark Whitney would consider that a great compliment. No, I consider no, it an absolute insult. 
I have no interest in saving conservatism. I want to bury conservatism. It is a morally bankrupt philosophy, as morally bankrupt as progressivism. Libertarianism is a radical philosophy. There's no question about it, but it's a beautiful philosophy. And it holds the answers, not only in a moral sense, but a way to get out of this. It's not that that people are afraid of freedom. It's that Jim's afraid of freedom. That's the problem here. It's that Mark's afraid of freedom. Jim talks about the Constitution. Where in the in Article 1, Section 8, does it authorize these socialist programs that were brought into existence by two Democrats, Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson? There is no constitutional authority. Jim talks about the deficit. And then on the other side of his mouth says, oh, but I favor these massive socialist programs, along with the national security state, that total $3 trillion. I mean, this is standard Republican talk. You know, you, you, we're going to reduce government spending, but we're going to keep these massive socialist programs. They don't believe in people. They don't believe in freedom. They Notice how they talk, that people are going to be dying in the streets if you abolish right. socialist programs. That's saying liberty doesn't work. Freedom doesn't work. You can't count on younger pe people because they're bad people. That's nonsense. We libertarians uh, have to instill that faith in people where people believe in themselves, where you don't need this coercive apparatus, where children will, will step up to the plate and help with parents and grandparents. They have a right to do that. That is our heritage. No IRS. People keeping everything they earn. If, if this party wants a Republican light campaign, they could bring in Jeb Bush. But I'm darn for I'm not that candidate. I want a campaign of principle for the party of principle. Thank you, Mr. Herbert. Um, for the folks watching at home, just one final reminder, uh, lpky.org slash vote, uh, vote for your candidate. Um, and uh, this will conclude this evening's debate. I wanted to thank the candidates for their time this evening. Thank you all for participating. Um, I'd like to thank Christy Kendrick and Scott Philback with the Libertarian Party of Kentucky yes. for helping to organize this and um, getting with everybody's campaigns. We will have multiple rounds so again, um, lpky.org slash vote um, will help your favorite candidate get into further rounds. Um, the voting will close one hour uh, from now. Uh, so go ahead and please vote while you can. Um, thank you again to our candidates. Thanks for our viewers. Um, have a great night. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you all.